passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our AEW Double or Nothing review. I am John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting. We are here Sunday night, almost midnight. We're here Sunday night. We're here Monday night. We're here most nights, Mm -hmm. as it works Mm -hmm. out. But I'm glad to be talking to you, Wei. Me too, John. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel after that show? Um, I I felt pretty good about it by the final 90 minutes of that show. Because I would say going into the final two matches, I thought like this, I had pretty high hopes for those two matches. So I was going into it already like that these are going to be the, the big matches on the show. Uh, but I do have to say, and we'll we'll get specific, I did feel the... Up until that point, this was feeling like one of the more pedestrian AEW pay-per-views that I've seen uh, in their totality, I would state. Like, it Mm -hmm. was um, a a lot of things, like, a a lot of, like, wonky things that just occurred on this show. But I I was not feeling like a high-level AEW pay-per-view going into those last two matches. I think that's good perspective because I'm still coming off the fumes of those last two matches. Really, I think that's what is, is going to define the show is those last two. And you ended with two unbelievably spectacular matches. And I think that that is m- much better to end that way than to start that way and fizzle out throughout the show. So, mm-hmm. I mean, not uh, we can certainly talk more about grading this as a show versus the individual matches. But, yeah, I, I would certainly say there were some underwhelming points to this show that just did did not meet certain expectations, which invariably are very high for AEW. But regardless, that is the expectation level that that you have. And you can certainly elevate those expectations when we always bring up the fact like this is a significantly higher price pay-per-view than your industry rival, for instance, and your big shows. It it is going to come with that level of expectation uh, with it as well. Certainly, yeah. Maybe, you know, some discussion about the build leading up to this as well. But we're here to talk about the event itself. Uh, a reminder, you can get your Super Chats in if you would like to get your thoughts in about this uh, tonight's show. You can jump the line as well. If you're a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com or video.postwrestling.com, you have the link to call in. Uh, just go to the community tab if you're a member. And also, if you're a patron, look in your email ma- mailbox. Um, you can also, if you're a Post Wrestling Cafe patron, leave feedback at forum.postwrestling.com. Yes, and on Monday's show, we'll catch up on all of the news. Uh, neither of us obviously have had a chance to see uh, Battleground yet, but also uh, Master Watto winning the Best of the Super Juniors tournament and uh, a big passing, especially in the UK with uh, promoter Brian Dixon passing away. So those are some of the news items, but we will uh, catch up on all of the news on Monday's show. If you do want to get a um, a recap of Battleground and have not seen it, John Cena does have a report up on the site going through all of that from Lowell, Massachusetts, but we are going to the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada for the fourth Double or Nothing, the fifth Double or Nothing. 
because I do the really? math in my head. Yeah. 2019, 20, 21, and 22, and now 23. Oh, wow. Okay. The time flies. They huh? grow up so fast. The buy-in, it, this was in mo- in many ways um, much closer to a WWE style of preview uh, or at least kickoff show complete with like the panel and one match at the end. I mean, most kickoffs now for WWE have no matches, but they only put one match on the preview. And we had Renee Paquette. I believe they, they started this format last time, right? Remember when RJ was a part of these shows? RJ was a part of it, but we didn't have like the four person panel like we had. It was a for- two person panel last time, but you're right. Okay. So they yeah. expanded it. And then RJ was set up in the back. But our panel, uh, standing panel, was Renee Paquette, Kazim Femude, who was formerly a writer with WWE and uh, works with The Ringer, does stuff on the WWE network as well. Uh, Paul White who was uh, strategically positioned right next to Stokely Hathaway and towered over this man. Mm-hmm. As he would most people. Yeah. Yes. Paul White also, did you did you uh, notice that he also got into the Guinness Book of Records with Natalia? I did not. He used the term heads on a swivel three times within about 30 seconds in one of his match breakdowns <laughs> that I was um, a, a, a crutch term for Paul White as he was previewing Anarchy in the Arena. And then they threw to an interview of Jim Ross doing a sit down with Don Callis. And sadly, we, we had like 40 minutes of talking on this show and then a like 15 minute match. And we only got 30 seconds of this. I implore everyone to watch this entire 12 and a half minute sit down that Jim Ross did with Don Callis. Have you had a chance to see this or did you just see? The I clip? didn't even know about it. I just happened to see it. They posted it this afternoon on their Mm -hmm. YouTube and it was a 13 minute sit down. And Jim Ross is, he's great in these. It's just, and Don Callis, it's just throwing softballs and he hits them out of the park, but it's Jim Ross is trying to get to the bottom of his attack on John Moxley. And Don Callis gives the origin story, how he knew the golden Sheik, who was Kenny's uncle and states how, how little he thinks of Kenny Omega. He said, the last time I saw the real Kenny Omega was against Will Ospreay in January. And he said that nothing worked in trying to get through to this guy. And he says, the reason he didn't have children himself is because inevitably his superior DNA would end up diluted. And then he would have to look at his child as a disappointment. And that's what he sees now in Kenny Omega. He wanted no association with the Young Bucks to begin with. They have been dragging Kenny down, and he saw him and Kenny as a modern-day Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle. But instead of that pairing, Omega chose to be one of the three Stooges with Matt and Nick. And I needed to do something impactful. Because Jim Ross says, why did you have to use a screwdriver? Why couldn't you talk to him and try and get through to him? He said that wouldn't have had enough impact. Slapping him in the face would not have sent Kenny away. He would have come back to me. I had to do something more significant, like a screwdriver to the head and says, don't let anyone tell you differently. Kenny's mother, Marla, is disgusted with Kenny. His uncle is rolling in his grave and said, Kenny is like a son to me, but it's like having a son with Einstein's intellect, but he chooses to work at a convenience store. The convenience store being teaming with the Young Bucks. And you cannot be both great and weak at the same time but the bucks have made him weak and you will never be great without me kenny kenny you were you became a cancer eating away at me so what do you do with cancer you cut it out 
dude, this was such an awesome, awesome promo from Don Callis. I thought this thing, it should have aired the on this preview show. It would have been the best thing on this preview show. I would have taken out time to air this on the pay-per-view, and I'd replay it again on Dynamite. Um, do yourself a favor and watch this whole thing, because Don Callis was fantastic in breaking this down and his superior DNA, uh, not wanting it diluted by having children. Sounds like the promo we should have had on the, oh, on the dude, Go Home this, show. I don't even want to get this. Should have been on television instead of on YouTube. Um, it should have been um, seen for for everyone because it was it was really well done. And so what? You dedicate twelve minutes. This is your A one angle. So mm. I thought it was really great. So you got thirty seconds of this on the on the buy in, but uh, I was buying into watching all of this. Um, and then Jim Ross is brought out to join Excalibur and Taz for the first half. So we got Jim Ross on the first half. Um, dude, there was a lot of bickering at times on th- this broadcast where it's just like little lines here and there. And it just seemed like corrections that they were making to each other. And it was just it, it was uh, awkward at times, I found. Mm, um, how much of that is Jim Ross? Um. So- some of it is Jim Ross. Others, like he, he corrected Taz at one point and he mm-hmm. was right. But then the way Taz is, thanks a lot for uh, correcting me there. Maybe next time I can just give you a shovel. <laughs> it was just like, I, when you have commentary, I want to hear people that when, especially when they're all like baby faces, I want to hear people that I believe like are enjoying each other's company. And this just felt uh, awkward at times. Tends to be Jim Ross's style. You know, it, it, he's pointing out sort of like the what he believes are the truths here. Um, and if there's any sort of like, you know, awkwardness, I mean, maybe it, it just comes down to to their their styles. Um, it didn't make that big of a it wasn't that big of an issue for me that I really noticed it all that much apart from the usual. So they were also positioned ringside. Which at one point, Tony Schiavone said, this is the first time we've been ringside and Excalibur cuts in second time. Fighter Fest 2019. I was like, okay, I wasn't at that show. And uh, Anyway, did, I don't think this made any difference other than they made a um, aesthetic change to put them ringside. So they were in the midst of anarchy in the arena. It gave them a weapon. It gave a lot of people a new place to attack people. Yeah. And Excalibur kept stating on the pay-per-view over 11,000 people at the arena. This afternoon, WrestleTix had it listed at 10,229. So that, that is probably the, uh, the legitimate uh, range of tickets that they distributed for the show. And the buy-in had our one match of Ethan Page with his contract at stake and the guns taking on the Hardys with Hook, who is replacing Brother Zay, who was out with them in a neck brace. And this was actually Jeff's first real match, excluding the firm deletion, since last year's Double or Nothing. A lot of returns, a lot of first matches in a long, long time for a lot of people. But his his delay, his layoff might have been the longest. Yeah, It was, and uh, maybe was felt in, in this match as well, uh, because th- there were uh, definitely some, some issues here. So Paige and Austin start going after Brother Zay, and they rip off his neck brace. And Matt is checking on him as Colton then drop kicks Matt as he rolls back in and Ethan page is doing the hearty taunts. And then they're doing the delete when Matt stops him with a twist of bait and Jeff gets the tag. He comes in and delivers a splash onto Austin for a two count and then goes for a twist of bait. 
And it was almost like he rolled his ankle or something on this because then he goes right into this whisper in the wind and he just spills slipping on the top rope, which I mean, you're doing that with that whisper in the wind. And that's a that's a nasty fall to be taking. It feels it felt very much to me like a worked injury. I mean, it it, it just looked so exaggerated the way he twisted his ankle in the twist of fate and the way he fell off of the ropes, too. It was um it looked very intentional, like as if they were trying to sell this ring rust story. But I, I mean, and the announcers, you know, either the I, announcers they, I just thought were quick on the, on the draw here because it really didn't play into anything. Well, that's the, that's the issue. Like I could understand wanting to sell a ring rust story with a guy, you know, coming off an 11 month layoff and that whole thing made sense, but it didn't really play any part in the finish. And that's what kind of confused me. But yeah, I mean, we, I, I think we've seen I, I didn't think Jeff looked great in this match before this spot. I think it was other than give him give him an Emmy uh, for, for this performance. But I did not think he looked great uh, in, in this match. And I mean, he's 45 and he hasn't wrestled in a year. So, I mean, that is going that's a I'm, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough if he's, if he's actually injured. It looked intentional to me, but, you know, I could be wrong. Um, but I, either way, I, I, I think it was maybe poorly communicated, um, especially the, the fact that it didn't really matter in the end no it was if anything it just got jeff out of the match and he just sold in the in the corner for forever and that was like uh, i took his like selling and jeff does manage a uh, poetry in motion as he's like limping and then just gets up for for a splash there's a 310 to yuma on matt and then they go for the double pin as Jeff is just waiting in position on the top and then hits the Swanton to break up the cover. So, so that's that I, I think is the fault of some of the direction on the show, which I thought many times throughout the night was was pretty poor, missing a lot of key spots. And hey, for a match like Anarchy in the Arena, I give him a lot of slack because that's a hard match to cover. Same with the Battle Royal. But moments like this, you know, are designed to specifically hide the person, you know, waiting to break up the pinfall. And unfortunately, there are a lot of moments like that. Um, that were unfortunately kind of spoiled. So he breaks up the uh, the, the pinfall, uh, the double pinfall by the guns onto Matt as Jeff hits the Swanton. And then um, it's a twist of fate to Ethan Page. Matt hits one and Hook gets the red rum and submits Ethan in 15 minutes and 47 seconds. And they did not even make a whole big deal about the contract after this. I don't even know if it was, it might've been mentioned, but it was not a. Uh... Excalibur mentioned it, uh, but okay. he's right not to make a big deal out of it. Cause it's not a big deal at this point. It's it was the whole another... point of the match though. I know, but it's a stupid storyline that nobody gives a shit about. So I think it's, it's almost like, I don't know why they keep going to this. Well, dealing with fucking contracts and, uh, it just like as lo- as good as like some of the performances were. I thought Paige was great. I thought Hook was great. Um, hey, the Hardys like we'll we'll find out if it was a legit injury or just a really poor creative choice. But all that stuff is just kind of like over like shadowed by some of the awful story that's been taking place as a part of this feud. I don't know, like you know, get ready for more vignettes on Rampage of like I don't know. Um, Matt forcing like uh, Ethan Page can't do his finishers, you know, or, or some bullshit like that. Nobody wants this sort of storytelling. Yeah, I, I thought this match went too long. The The audience wasn't even all that into it. And for a Hardy's match, that is to me somewhat, uh, you know, uh, a, a negative because that's a big thing of what they have is the, the crowd reaction. Because I think the, these two guys, I mean, it's, it's getting tougher and tougher uh, for them. So, um, yeah, Hook was 
I, I think it's a fine association to have Hook attached with them. And yeah, Ethan Page was very entertaining it's, in this. But Hook, I, I helps, thought just... Hook helps them, but this does not help Hook. He should not be involved with with this sort of stuff. You know, he he should be at this point several years now into his run. He should have his own like s- substantial storyline rather than being an accessory to the Hardys. Um, I thought like the guns, you know, looked good as well. Like they had the benefit of being the first match up, so it had good energy energy from the crowd, like decent action. Uh, all you know, again, maybe the whole injury aside. Um, but I'm not looking forward to more of the storyline. Recommend or don't recommend this match? I say mm-hmm. no. If you only have so much time and you want to cherry pick from this five hour show, then no, you could skip this. Then they reminded us, because they had promoted this weeks ago, but did not make a big deal of, about it going into the show. Next will be the opening ceremonies for the Owen Hart Foundation tournament. I was like, oh, okay. We're going to get the names for who is in the tournament. That's what I would assume from a opening ceremonies. Instead, it was Renee and Martha Hart who were out. And Martha says that this year, the tournament is going to be a bit more gangster. which is answering the criticisms of so many people about what last year's tournament. That's what it lacked a bit more, a little bit more gangster is what we needed. This This was like from Martha Hart was just something else. um, This was like everybody's mom picking them up from school and having like some man, incredibly cringeworthy announcement. Like she's, she let this off by saying, you know, last year I told everybody to bring their bling and their fancy fascinators. This year we're going more gangster. (laughs) I'm like, Oh my, I can't believe this was like, I can't believe like that should be her character. You know, this would be a great like wrestling gimmick at this point. Mom who just embarrasses everybody. Anyway, that was Martha's role. Um, I thought I thought we were getting at the opening ceremonies at, at Forbidden Door, like at one time, or was that ever communicated? This was called the opening ceremony. Yeah, this wasn't much of a ceremony. So we're getting we're getting the opening matches at Forbidden. Door. Yeah, it's going to kick off in Toronto that weekend, and yeah. then she said, "So this year, get your fedoras out." And out comes Tony Khan in an Owen Hart fedora, and was, <laughs> what is what is going on here, dude? This. <laughs> was like and tied it into the calgary stampede which is where the tournaments are going to end in calgary in july but dude this was a segment Uh, this is uh, quite the way to start off the owen hart tournament yes yeah this was it was something (laughs) and then they gave us the hard sell the last 10 minutes we got to see entrances for the blackjack battle royal like you mean i gotta i'm not gonna get to see this Hey, they've done this before. <laughs> they've done this where they, they they've done the entrances prior to you know the start of the pay per view. I think it's a pretty good gimmick. You know, it feels like you're getting a taste of the show without actually really giving anything away. So our international championship blackjack battle royal starts the pay per view, and we had Orange Cassidy defending the title with the best friends Bandito, Tony Nice, Josh Woods, Ari Davari, Lee Moriarty, Big Bill. Commander, The Butcher, Blade, Kip Sabian, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Dustin Rhodes, Keith Lee, Ricky Starks, Penta and Phoenix, Brian Cage, and Swerve Strickland, which, if my counting is correct, that would be 22 people. Well, um, in wrestling, if you got 21, I got 22. That was obviously the tribute spot yeah. that they were doing. So, uh, so so, no, like, weird entrances. Like, everybody just starts off. No, like, you know, suits or anything like that for this one. 
No, no. That, sorry, I thought I was imagining everyone wearing suits after the oh, last no, time no. with their fedoras. But no, <laughs> this they were not doing the card. This is not uh, the cards. Yes, no. no hearts. No, oh, the hearts were reserved for the last uh, the last segment. Mm-hmm. Yes, got it. Okay, <laughs> so the rules are you have to first enter the ring in order to be part of the match. So this gave an out for Commander to do his rope walk because apparently ro- walking the rope. Is, does not constitute entering the ring because he did his rope walk and dove onto Bill and Moriarty, which I thought was his Mil Moscaris moment of the, the Battle Royal, but he was still in this. It made sense. You know, uh, um, he was not technically a part of the match yet, so he could go and do his high-flying uh, high antics. Now, he did try it a second time, and that's how he actually got eliminated. It, it was his downfall later. Yeah. So I'm not going through all of these, but we, we saw the uh, the luchadors all gang up to protect Bandito as he delivered a vertical suplex to Nice and fight everyone off. Uh, Swerve and Cage just stood on the ramp for a while before Cage entered and eventually Swerve came in. And yes, Commander scales the top again, and Jay White just shoves him to the floor, which I wasn't shedding any tears for Commander's strategy. Swerve and Lee finally go at it as we uh, are going to, maybe it'll be next year's double or nothing. They're going to have the singles match. Um, eventually, this is the slowest paced feud in <laughs> AEW history. It could come actually like pretty soon. Watch it's going to be this. on a rampage one week. Most of this feud has been, so yeah, I could see that. Um, we saw um, Cage come from behind and send out Keith Lee, and the crowd was very upset to see Keith Lee gone. And White then caught Penta with the Blade Runner, but then Starks is in, spears White, and eliminates him for the huge pop. And this is after throwing Juice out. So Starks did get to eliminate both White and Juice Robinson. Uh, but with that, Big Bill boots out Starks, and they gave a lot to Big Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting him to the final four. And I thought he he stood out in this match. Like he he had that really good tag match a few weeks ago on Dynamite. And I think they they see a lot in this guy. He had improved a lot in impact when he was getting a lot more singles opportunities. Yeah. And I'm fine to see this guy get uh, a little bit more. They gave him the big man heel spot here. And of all the big men that, that are currently on the roster, he's he's at this point, like he really does feel like a veteran. You know, and more so on the on the heel side of things. Cause like you you do have like a Keith Lee who I wouldn't necessarily say is competing for the same role. But like uh you know, Big Bill is is like a great hand. Um unfortunately the firm has just kind of you know vanished and never really amounted to much, but he's impressed in pretty much every appearance that they've had. Uh, Dustin did a destroyer onto Brian Cage on the edge of the, on the edge to eliminate Brian Cage, and then Swerve knocks Dustin out. So the final four are Swerve, Orange Cassidy, Big Bill, and Penta. And Bill clotheslines Penta out. Bill and Swerve then argue over who's going to eliminate Orange Cassidy. And as Bill lifts up Cassidy and military presses him, Swerve shoves Bill, who ends up out onto the floor. And we get this great ending with Orange Cassidy and Swerve, and they just dial up dial it up to 10 here with uh prince nana sweeping the leg and a swerve stomp connects and he puts cassidy's hands into the pockets and we get cassidy coming back with a pair of spinning ddts both men end up onto the edge of the apron and swerve comes off for the swerve stomp cassidy gets his boots up and swerve is holding on by his hand and cassidy just calmly kicks the hand it breaks free and swerve lands on the floor in 22 minutes and 28 seconds i thought by the end of the show i thought this was on the uh on the better end of the match quality on the undercard this one i would recommend and i thought especially once it got down to 
got the numbers down, but they they set up a lot of things in here. They built up several people, and the final two with Swerve and Cassidy was a lot of fun. I would I'm hoping that they do this match, and it seems like they would coming out of this. This is actually my third favorite match on the show. Like up until the 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 four way, this was my favorite thing on the show. I'd go as far as to say this might have been my favorite AEW Battle Royal, and so much of it is because I think we've seen you know. <laughs> Trials and tribulations um, when it comes to AEW and battle royals dating back to, you know, maybe maybe that initial double or nothing or whenever they started these. Um, they've often either been too busy, too disorganized or maybe not active enough. This one, I thought, really kind of hit that perfect spot where it did a great job of keeping audiences focused on one single thing happening at a time and gave you just like memorable segments for various people that were participating in this like the the whole thing with the luch, uh, luchadors teaming together to take on everybody i thought was awesome for all of them um you had the best friends doing everything they could to protect orange cassidy's title like including trent sacrificing himself yeah we, we we glossed over some of the eliminations but yeah trent took the bullet to save orange cassidy in- yeah lee and sort of get to continue whatever they've got i mean you know starks and jay white and juice kind of have their thing going on as well big bill getting like you know so, some really great shine as the big man but it was the final two like between the showdown between Swerve and, and orange that was just to me amazing because they first of all the choice of Swerve to be the final two was great because you and i had discussed we out of everybody in the field he seemed the most likely to actually beat orange cassidy and by the by the time he came out second second last i was pretty convinced that Swerve was going to win this so I, they, 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 what they, what was brilliant about this concept is that you built up this Orange Cassidy reign to be so important, and you can now literally dangle it by a thread. You can hang it, you know, you can put it in in in, in balance, um, with a simple like you know, um, Orange Cassidy like letting go uh, from the top rope and being eliminated. He could have lost the reign that way. Um, and I thought they wonderfully teased that with every like skin, the cat, every like, you know, hanging on to to the rope. But to me, the my favorite part, Swerve, again, was amazing. Number one, he's like more than capable of like usurping Orange Cassidy to live up to the legacy that he's built up this thus far. But I think his horror movie villainous matches perfectly with like the weird like superhero that Orange Cassidy has become. Um, but my favorite thing was the fact that they managed to find a scenario where orange cassidy's lazy kick was a believable finisher you know like swerve is hanging by a thread and orange resorts to the lazy kick to help him win this match in a legitimate fashion i thought it was brilliant this was a really well done uh battle royal i would to me it it's not technically aew but to me the the high standard was that over the budget battle royal at all in which i thought was so well put together um but yeah this was one of the better battle royals i've seen in a long time and one thing you can say is that pretty much i would say like three quarters of the people in this battle royal had existing stories and this is not an easy match to put together and for the commentators to keep you abreast of all the what's going on I thought they did a pretty good job. And I think that Swerve is a very strong candidate that I would be the one to take this title from Orange Cassidy that you have coming out of this. I thought tonight like presented a, like a, a very satisfying scenario for Swerve to actually win the championship. But I think this is better because now you get to build up to an actual match between the two, which I'm I'm really excited for. 
Next match was Chris Jericho with the Jericho Appreciation Society taking on Adam Cole with Roderick Strong. And I'm putting my hands up in the air what Sabu's role was because they were even <laughs> debating it on commentary Ugh. of is this guy, isn't this guy the referee? Why is he throwing chairs at Jericho? And then yeah. Excalibur's explaining, well, he's actually in their corner. And then he was just taken away all com- completely. And the match was just left to Jericho and Cole. The confusion comes from the billing of Sabu as special enforcer. When all the creative, everything you've seen on TV does nothing to suggest that he's supposed to be impartial in this match. Um, I don't know why they billed him as a special enforcer. You know, like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't matter. But it was just it was just. Like how how does how, how do you have two separate distinctions that are being presented? Like this how is... does the graphic not match the angle? And it's not mm-hmm. as though Adam Cole was setting him up as the Adam Cole was c- clearly getting him as he, he, he walked out with Adam Cole with the chair know, as he was attacking. Was... He was in Adam Cole's corner. So I, I I mean And the graphic did not change from TV this week to tonight. Like it stayed yeah. the same. It's not as though, oh, we should update this because it's confusing. We left it there. And then you had Jim Ross and Excalibur arguing and that's like i couldn't even tell who was right like i don't i don't even so, know what we're supposed to so do. i mean g- could it be that just like tony khan has a very different um definition of what a special enforcer is you know like <laughs> it made no sense no this was a fumble for sure jericho's family was seated in the uh, front row and we get cole coming out with strong and sabu and they're all bringing out chairs And we immediately get a brawl as the bell rings and Jericho and Sabu have a chair duel. And with that, Matt Menard gets set up on a table on the floor and Sabu climbs. And this was scary to say the least watching this man leap off this top turnbuckle and go through the the table with Matt Menard and this is where Ross is asking, isn't this guy the referee? This is very uncharacteristic. <laughs> and Taz agrees with Jim Ross. He's like, I yeah. think he is. Excalibur says, well, it's actually in Adam Cole's corner. And then we just, <laughs> they all brawl to the back and we just have a regular match. Well, a, a hardcore unsanctioned match afterwards. What Sabu's role was, I have no idea. But I was glad the man at least survived this, this table spot. I, I don't think JR was wrong to call this out. I mean, we were all wondering the same thing. We were asking about it on the preview because the, yeah. gra- the, the angle was very simple on Wednesday. It was yeah. set up as he being in the corner. And then the exactly. graphic and the way they positioned it was, I mean, it was just poor messaging. His role was to, you know, generate a bit of a pop on Wednesday. Special and- run-in, Sabu. They could have just labeled yeah. it that. Table mm-hmm. spot for Sabu. Yeah. So they went on to have a unsanctioned match that went 19 minutes and uh they they had their challenges here with this crowd like this was not an AEW crowd where they were just red hot for everything it was like this was an audience you had to win them over and for stuff that they were not into they were not just going to default to uh loving it and being loud and this was Mm -hmm. one that that struggled with with this crowd yeah Uh, Jericho stopped multiple Panama sunrises and they came up with, with different weapon spots. And, and this was probably a tough match to do on a show where so much was earmarked for that main event and putting this together, you don't want to go too far. And let's remember, you also have a ladder match um, sandwiched in between this and anarchy in the arena. So mm-hmm. you could argue, certainly like you, you booked this and this could have been one too many, you know, 
hardcore style of matches on a show that is hinging on a gigantic 30 minute version. Uh, Cole is run knee first into the steps and man, did he go hard into those stairs and Jericho gets sent into a chair. There's a Panama sunrise that gets caught. He puts him into the walls and Cole fights to the rope, but there's no rope breaks because it's unsanctioned. So he reaches under the ring for a fire extinguisher, a unsanctioned fire extinguisher and sprays Jericho in the face with it and goes for the boom, but it's caught with a code breaker. Now Jericho uses the extinguisher and then takes this extinguisher and just drops it onto Adam Cole's midsection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is like what he did with that water bottle. Remember? It was like, these are the, these are the thuds that to me register the most. Could you imagine? Like I would, uh, I would be willing to take a, a guy spraying me in the face with a fire extinguisher. Sure. Dropping that thing onto my ribs, no way, no way. I don't think I could physically do it without getting my hands up there. Would you rather take like a double stomp or a fire extinguisher dropped on your chest? I'd take the double stomp over the uh, the fire extinguisher. I think so too. There's just no way to protect your your. I just uh, man, it it takes it takes something there. So Jericho brings out a kendo stick, and with this, Britt Baker runs down, attacking Jericho with her own kendo stick. And dude, she lit this guy up like the 4th of July and his, his side was all marked up. She hit him with so many kendo stick shots. So, I mean, we, we had a bit of this attack backstage, if you remember a few weeks ago, and and a lot of it came off of the controversy from that t-shirt. And so I have to imagine like, even without the t-shirt, you know, controversy, like there was probably a little bit of sensitivity in portraying Britt Baker as this like sort of damsel in distress with that angle and making sure that she doesn't come across that way because she is your most popular competitor in the women's division. So it was very important that she defend herself and, you know, was able to give Jericho his comeuppance here. And and, and in case, (laughs) sorry, you got to love Jim Ross because in case you didn't know, um, thank you, Jim Ross for reminding us that Adam Cole and Britt Baker are a couple, but they're not married. But they're not married. Yeah. So made sure to specify that for all of us um, a year into their um, role here. So Soraya runs down and fights with Baker and Baker chases her to the back and Jericho gets a chain and Ross, <laughs> Jim Ross asks, he calls it a steel chain and he ponders, are there any chains that aren't steel? <laughs> there I don't think be. there are. They're probably well, they're, all steel well, chains. They're plastic chains. Plastic chains. I yeah, mean. like like toy toy chains. Yeah, but for practical use, I mean, they're probably steel's got the. Are you the, sure they have like? Are there no alloy chains? We'll do some research before our next gold show. chains, huh? Uh, yeah. well, gold is is uh, it's not steel. I guess not. So, huh. the this chain comes with handcuffs. Can't just get this at the home hardware, okay? With handcuffs, no, this is a custom. Yeah, you have to go to like a. I don't know, like one of those special stores, sex shop or something for these and chains himself to Adam Cole. And then Cole handcuffs himself to Jericho and Jericho gets hit with a Panama sunrise while they're chained together. I thought this did look cool, Mm -hmm. Um, but the near fall, not the reaction you would expect for kicking out of this chained together Panama sunrise. And it's like the Panama sunrise, very well protected. And this audience, like they did not respond to it as some giant kick out. I find that throughout the whole match. Yeah, yeah, like a lot it was of the reactions just, were muted. And listen, if you were to have told me like the layout of this match, like I would have looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm sure like this, there's different spots and that I would assume would have worked, that being mm-hmm. one of them. 
Cole ducks a Judas effect and he gets choked with the chain, kicks off the turnbuckle to escape, hits the boom, and then wraps the chain around his knee for another boom. And he gets on top and starts delivering ground and pound to Jericho's face using the chain and busts him open around his eye. This looked like a tamer version of the Lesnar Orton finish where it was just like laying in shots on Jericho until Aubrey Edwards calls for the stoppage at 1859. And there were boos for this with the stoppage, the way it was. And yeah, I just, I can't say like this one could not have reached what these two, I think were aiming for. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone, I, I like stoppage finishes. I wish there was more of them, but you can't argue this did not work with this crowd. And that's a risk you do when you do unconventional finishes. But I, I think in the long run, doing more stoppages, I just think it gives you more options down the road and fans accepting them. But um, this crowd did not. So yeah, th- there was a lot that missed the mark here and probably not the the match you wanted for an, an Adam Cole, even though, you know, technically, like they did some clever things, but it, it was a battle with this crowd. So I think in AEW, when you build something as an unsanctioned match, these audiences have seen so much within that realm okay and they're about to at the end of this evening see maybe you know the greatest example of it all that you have to do a whole lot to convince an audience that a match is worth stopping um and not to you know maybe harp on a cliche but we didn't even get to see blood here or at least not that much of it from jericho um and maybe that was part of the dissatisfaction i think a lot of it might might have been the creative as well and maybe a general sort of like you know um uh, I, I'm sensing a lot of like audiences not being into Jericho programs lately. You know, they haven't been great. Um, starting with the Ricky Starks one that which took forever. This one I would only say was mildly better. The angle with Britt Baker I think ultimately turned out pretty well. Gave them some great fuel to you know have Adam Cole cut great promos with. Um, but to me, I thought the high point was the Roddy match with Jericho backstage, and I actually felt like that match was better than this. Now, they had a lot more to do in that one than they did in this one. And unfortunately, they couldn't brawl into the back because that was, you know, because that's essentially an anarchy in the arena match. Um, I thought this was like a good hardcore match, but it had its faults. I, I think, number one, we have to continue to mention the Sabu billing, which I think just tripped some of us up. The extinguisher stuff I thought was a little bit clunky in like, you know, timing. Um, handcuffs I thought were good, but man, crowd energy just wasn't really there for it. They weren't really with what i think this match was designed for so good but not to the level that you would expect it was a it was a tough placement like as as jericho noted with that famous match with kevin owens you never want to be second second is the word you never want to be second on on the show and it was um yeah, like I, I think under normal circumstances, like if, if this was in front of a, a different crowd, I think they would have got it into more. Like there was a lot of stuff in this that you look as like easy spots for reactions uh, fr- fr- from the crowd. But maybe it was just following a a 21 minute uh, battle royal with a, you know, 19, 20 minute um, follow up with it and knowing that how violent is this going to get when you have so much uh, coming up on on the show a- as well. But mm-hmm. um, it, it also didn't necessarily feel like, well, the follow-up is Wednesday where they're going to do a tag match that feels like the, what, what this was ultimately building to with Jericho and Baker against, or sorry, Jericho and Soraya against Cole and Baker. Yeah. I, I, it, it's hard to like, again, compare something like this to like something like a Blackpool combat club, because I really do feel like now the bar for like a blood feud is so different 
You know, it, it, it there's so much more realism when you're looking at like a John Moxley versus like, you know, Chris Jericho trying to sell a blood feud, which to me comes a whole lot across a whole lot more like it's it's almost kind of cartoonish and a little bit campy. It's great on, on its own, but it, it, it's hard to sell unsanctioned, you know, uh, blood stoppage like that sort of thing um, on the same show as like an anarchy in the arena. FTR against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal for the AEW tag titles with Mark Briscoe as the referee. And Mark Briscoe, like, just called it down the middle um, r- except, right up until the end. Except the start where he forgot, I think, for a second that he was actually the referee because he completely missed, like, uh, uh, an initial count from um, Jay Lethal. Oh, I, I didn't even um, I didn't even note that. Well, he, he figured out after. The, after the announcers were covering for him by saying that this is his first day on the job, so. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Well, Jared and Lethal. I mean, this to me was just this is a really well worked tag match. And this one, I mean, they did have the story here with Mark Briscoe. And this one I thought did work with the crowd. But they send Cash to the floor and he's sent into the guardrail. And Karen starts choking him and they get the heat on Cash, breaking down his knee after a dragon screw. They apply a figure four and then. He leapfrogs lethal and he stumbles to the corner on his bad knee to tag Dax. So Dax is in and he's running wild on lethal. Jarrett then runs cash into the post from the apron and they lift him up for a uh, Dax sends uh, lethal up for a doomsday powerbomb. Cash hits a tope suicida and Sanjay Dutt gets involved, yanking Dax off of lethal for the pin. And this is when Mark Briscoe ejects Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh. Jarrett goes for the guitar shot, missing Dax, and he nails Mark Briscoe with a guitar shot. And after all these years of all the weapon shots you have seen Mark Briscoe take, this one put him out cold for about five minutes on the mat. He was out. This was the lethal chair shot. I think when you're a referee, guitar shot. I think when you're a referee, you're, you just happen to be more susceptible and your healing powers are just for some reason diminish. Well, they stop a lethal injection. They hit the shatter machine. But no referee. So Aubrey runs down and Sanjay Dutt plays interference and blocks her. And then she knocks down Sanjay and then boom, Karen nails Aubrey with a hell of a guitar shot. This leads to a double lethal injection onto FTR and Dax avoids a belt shot, hits the pile driver to lethal. And then there's a belt shot by Jarrett and the stroke. Mark is uh, coming to and he counts. Dax kicks out for the big pop and Jared is screaming and he slaps Mark who strikes him back, sending Jeff into the shatter machine in 19 minutes and 56 seconds. FTR and Mark Briscoe hug. And I thought, I thought this worked. I thought that this was all built towards the the finish here. I, I enjoyed this tag match quite a bit. So, so it's called the shatter machine, not the big rig anymore for some reason. They've been calling it the shatter machine now for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I wonder why. Um, I, I, don't know why the, the change other than they're calling it the shatter machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the crowd really ate up all the stuff with like Karen, Aubrey, Sanjay, you know, all the way from like, uh, like the shenanigans until the close. I thought the match was really successful. I have to say, I thought a lot of the in-ring action itself for an FTR match, I thought was kind of dull. You know, I did actually feel a little bit of the drag for this one. And maybe it's because I know in the back of my head, this is going to be a match involving a whole lot of shenanigans. I mean, at this point, this faction has more people sitting outside of the ring than inside. So you knew something was going to happen, but I thought it was affected by the end. Um, But a part of me didn't really like this for a pay-per-view. You know, like like when I see FTR in a tag team title defense on a pay-per-view, 
I don't really want sports entertainment. You know, I don't want so much gimmicky like stuff. You know, I, I want a solid, like pure professional wrestling match. It was fine. I think it was worth doing this match because Jarrett and Lethal have been hot. The sketches have been fun. But it's time to get back into some serious, like dream match level match of the year type of contenders for FTR on these shows. We don't have many FTR pay-per-view title defenses, I'm, I'm betting. And it's time we finally like get to some of those. You're not hoping for a House of Torture showdown. God. The lights go out at Scotiabank Arena. Don't threaten me, man. Alex Marvez catches up with Ricky Starks, and he talks about eliminating Jay White and Juice Robinson, and boom, the two jump them, and they get chased away by FTR, who are making their way to the back, and they're checking on Ricky. So we've got FTR. They've got allegiances to Mark Briscoe and Ricky Starks, but obviously by design here, getting FTR involved uh, with Jay White and Juice Robinson. Mm -hmm. So could this be... um... Something for Forbidden Door or just something for TV, you think? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious if they end up going with the IWGP Tag Champions with FTR for that pay-per-view or something. Or It'll it be interesting a, how Jay White is utilized on that show. Yeah, does it set up like a, a Bullet Club type of thing where uh, BC Gold can team up with House of Torture and Bullet Club and uh, the OC and, uh, you know, whatever they've got at, at Impact? Um, who else we got? Any other Bullet Club standouts? Maybe Eddie cool. Kingston will give him a one uh, a one night um, visitors pass to return to New Japan after losing that match. <laughs> sure, yeah. Jericho, who's got the the bad eye after the match, he's with Soraya and calls Adam Cole insane and a barbarian, and Soraya calls Baker a bitch. They want a tag match this Wednesday on Dynamite, and then a security member comes in and tells them to calm down, and with that. He takes a fireball, as Jericho reminds him, I'm a wizard, bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, if you're worried about uh, a firewall, <laughs> maybe um, you <laughs> should jump on to NordVPN, which oh, would have gotten God. this poor guy out of harm's way here if he knew what was coming. Don't get burned by the competition. Come check out NordVPN.com/postwrestling. I, uh, I was waiting for the segue, and um, you—that might have been your your best yet. Technically, I don't know how um, worrying about a firewall would would lead you to get a VPN. Like, in in fact, I think they would work in tandem with each other. But very good, John. And yes. Our thanks to our sponsor, NordVPN, for the show. If you are an AEW fan, this is really the perfect complement to your fandom, especially if you're a fan in North America, where, again, every single week I watch AEW on AEW+, Plus, which is not available to us in North America, but if you are able to sign in through another country, you can have access to it. Commercial uh, free ed- editions of these shows, are, the entire Dynamite and Rampage archives are available. Um it's also great if you are looking to order pay-per-views because uh, if you sign on to perhaps a place like the United Kingdom, you can find these pay-per-views for a much cheaper price um, by logging through a VPN. But perhaps the most valuable reason for getting a VPN, as John alluded to, is your online privacy. If you do any sort of downloading of content or if you use any sort of public Wi-Fi, then you should have concerns about unwanted tracking from advertisers, ISPs, phishing sites, and hackers. And a NordVPN has over 5,000 servers around the world. 
doubling down by keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before you. it makes a mess of your computer. So sign up right now, nordvpn.com slash postwrestling, where post listeners can get an exclusive deal. Four extra months on top of all two-year subscriptions or three extra months on top of all one-year subscriptions. That's about $3.17 US a month for a 28-month plan. Norn also offers its 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like them within a month, tell them you want your money back. And that is it. Again, nordvpn.com slash postwrestling to let them know you found out through us. Our thanks again to Nord for their sponsor of Post. Yes, it is the top of the ladder of VPN services. As we go to our next match involving Wardlow and Christian Cage for the TNT Championship. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Christian comes out in his new attire of a black sleeveless turtleneck to wrestle in. And sends Luchasaurus to the back. They're going over his ladder match history. And Wardlow walks underneath the ladder. And about 10 oh. minutes later, oh. this dude would have been regretting that choice. Oh. Man, yeah. What, they uh, have a moment in the in this match. This, so, if, if you weren't superstitious before, this would have made you. Yes. This would have made you a believer. Wardlow just starts smashing Christian with this ladder. And they set up two tables on the floor. And Christian gets placed on them. And Wardlow climbs to the top but gets knocked off by Christian. And we got a turtleneck chant for Christian. Um, clearly, the, the, this crowd really engaged here at the beginning. Wardlow then lifts him for a powerbomb, and Cage grabs the ladder and climbs, but then gets thrown off. Luchasaurus returns at this point, rolls Cage in to stop Wardlow from climbing, and hits an inverted DDT. So then Wardlow hits a flapjack on the ladder and misses with a swanton, and he lands on the ladder. Just, just look nasty. Arn comes down. And he whispers something into Wardlow's ear. And then he leaps from the turnbuckle onto the ladder. And Wardlow is a big man. So when he is jumping onto this ladder in the middle of the ring, the steps on the ladder tapped out and they broke as this man landed. And this ladder is totally destroyed, as I thought Wardlow's shin was, because he goes down with this ladder and it just looks like a nasty fall. And you're just hoping this guy has not just destroyed something on his body. But this guy is like, well, got to get back to this spot. So he puts this dis destroyed ladder up. It's not at all safe to be climbing. The announcers are like, get a new ladder. But he is determined to climb this fucking ladder. I, I, I'm assuming he didn't realize it was like as broken as it was. It, it was the opposite side that maybe he could not see it because Rick Knox yeah. can, and he runs in yeah. and he holds the ladder as. Oh, he's waving it. He's waving him off. He's telling him you you can't use this one, basically. Well, but Wardlow was so he went to hold it, and when he held it, it took the other 
legs down and Wardlow falls off. I, I didn't I didn't see it as, as him holding it, but I mean, who knows? Like, he, yeah, Rick Knox was basically doing something. Yes. And Wardlow is pissed. And I, I'm just watching this match totally fall apart at this mm-hmm. point. And from there, Luchasaurus comes in and choke slams Wardlow. And this is almost that, like, let's all just take a minute here. Let's all figure out what was supposed to happen and let's regain our bearings. And then Arn comes in and Luchasaurus grabs him by the throat. And Arn has the most comical look on his face. I mean, this was a <laughs> comic book villain um, cho- about the choke slam Arn. This was the night of like Arn Anderson memes. Yes, absolutely. So Arn, I mean, maybe this guy was uh, just reading about uh, Tim Woods and uh, the famous story about, uh, you know, him him calling a guy in for a match and then biting his uh, his finger off. So Arn bites on Luchasaurus's thumb. And then this guy looks like a vampire because there's blood all over Arn's face. And we're to like they show Luchasaurus's like whatever this like gimmicked thumb is yeah. like that. He's bitten Luchasaurus's they, thumb off. They did like fake blood on his thumb which was certainly um bold you know a bold I, I, way dude i i thought this match was just dead at this point oh completely, completely. i was like this is a disaster this yeah. whole thing even, this even, thumb even, is just awful and the crowd the crowd doesn't even know it like it's hard enough if you're at home to like see this thumb and what they're doing i can't imagine the eleven thousand people here who are trying to figure out what what's going on? I, I I mean I thought the the blood was specifically there to show the live audience that Arn bit and, and and that's why he he broke out of it. But I mean it was it was a bit much. Um, huh. A bit much. Yes. Luchasaurus then gets set onto a bunch of tables on the floor, and Wardlow climbs up this giant ladder and i'm just thinking like this guy is probably not in the best of moods at this point his leg must be fucked his leg i was worried like his leg might be injured dude he climbs to the top of this thing and this is not like one one set of stairs down he's on the top of it the jeff hardy guy this guy is a lot bigger than jeff hardy Mm -hmm. and he pauses he does a pose on top of this ladder and he hits this beautiful swanton and at this point Dude, this guy brought, uh, he got this out of the jaws of defeat and pulled this thing back. And this is going to be the visual that is always associated with this match and not a a bladed thumb. And yeah, it was, it was picture perfect. Like, I think, I think better than Jeff Hardy's like highlight reels. Cause it's just such a bigger man. And remember Jeff Hardy wrecked his heels on that spot. So I'm hoping he landed okay here. And that this guy came out injury free from this match because there were multiple candidates for injury for him. And then we had Christian cage with a nod to the, the famous Vince McMahon shot from WrestleMania 19 peeking over the edge of the apron, looking sinister. And he climbs the ladder, Arn tips the ladder, and Cage is caught by Wardlow for a power bomb. and Wardlow climbs to grab the title at 17 minutes and 10 seconds. This was about as lost of a match as I've seen Christian in in years. And, dude, they they pulled it out of the fire. And Wardlow deserves credit. Like, the Swanton, mm-hmm. very risky spot, but that turned – they won this back with that yeah. spot at the end. So I have to give these guys the win at, at the end for this. But it was it was looking very dark in the middle of this match. Like, I just thought this thing had fallen off the rails. I'm very pleased that, like, you and I have basically, like, the same sort of roller coaster 
emotions related to this match because yeah like it was dead this match was incredibly ugly at parts somehow they got through it you know and and ultimately you look at this and it's like no one is really to blame a ladder break like that is a bit of a freak accident in in even in professional wrestling and i don't know i mean maybe people who really know ladders and know how much like weight distribution works for a guy like wardlow maybe they could have predicted it but a lot most of us probably could not okay and it's no one's fault um but man like i thought at one point this match was going to be stopped i thought like you know wardlow like was was going to be like on the sidelines with with an injury there were also like a lot of parts where i was really concerned about christian taking the amount of punishment like that alabama slam on the ladder yeah a lot of the stuff is like man like this guy i I, I don't want to see christian in these ladder matches and and to be truthful like yes you this match will be remembered for the latter spots and the swanton. But I I think as well, like, um, you know, c- could you have had this match without the latter? I would, I would argue you could have, but it was, it was a big spectacle because of it. It's just, I don't think Christian needs to be doing ladder matches at this stage of his career. He does not need them. Agreed. Agreed. But man, we're going to remember this match for how Wardlow recovered after something like that. You know, he, this whole time, I think what we've been missing from Wardlow are these like memorable performances outside of the MJF feud. He's kind of been floundering and they, we, he's just been doing shit that like, you know, is not all that memorable. Tonight, he delivered that, you know, he pulled himself together, pulled himself up that ladder and delivered a picture perfect swanton off of the, a giant ladder. By far the most impressive spot of Wardlow's career, something that should be in, on every like AEW highlight reel. Um, and then, like, after that, came back into the ring and had a wonderful, like, he caught Christian after being tipped off the ladder by Arn. That really was really good closing spot that they had. Like, that yeah. was also really impressive. So, like, this this match should be remembered for how Wardlow was able to hold it together, especially with whatever injury he, he might might have suffered from that leg. Impressive from him. Yeah. I just would have loved the the think tank of, you know what, guys? What about Arn doing the spine buster to Luchasaurus? Yeah, we were thinking something else. <laughs> how about he bites his thumb off? Yeah. yeah but how are you, how's the audience going to know that he bit him? <laughs> well, we're going to make it very dramatic and very visual. And the man, <laughs> I mean, th- dude, if you saw this visual of Arn Anderson with his blood all over his mouth, yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny. The most ridiculous things. <laughs> Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm followed that for the AEW Women's Championship. And Hayter's music plays twice. And on the second time, Soraya and Soho have attacked her and bring her out onto the ramp. It's a three-on-one attack as they are bringing up her shoulder injury. And um, if you had any doubt, like she has been dealing with this shoulder injury and you could certainly like see how limited she was and how they structured this match around that injury. Cause this one went three minutes. And I think that it was the most you could have asked for her to go through with this because um, yeah, her, her shoulder did not look good here. And Paul Turner is just a masochist. This dude is watching her destroyed by these three women with her arm all bandaged up. She's rolled into the ring, ring the bell. And then Paul Turner's like, watch it. Soraya's just up there casually with like taking off the turnbuckle pad. Turner's like, ah, what can I do? And then Baker attacks Soraya and removes her from ringside. Turner gets sent into the exposed buckle. Good. This part was weird. Like they were doing a pretty big rough bump with like Paul Turner into the exposed turnbuckle, but he just recovered and managed to like uh, count like like normal for the for the next near fall. Yeah, so I don't know if he was... had been hit by a guitar. I mean, maybe he should have traded places with Mark Briscoe. He clearly could recover better. 
So, yeah, th- this is not Turner is not about to call for a bell here at all. He's, you know, he's getting ready for, for, for forbidden door. It's playoff season. Yeah. Ruby Soho spray paints hater in the face. Hip attack by storm and hater kicks out. They were trying to like have hater just still overcome the odds. Sheeta shows up to take care of Ruby Soho with a kendo stick and Tony Storm gets sent into the exposed buckle and she is hit with Haterade, but because uh, Hater's arm is hurt, it's a delayed cover and Storm kicks out of Haterade. With that, Jamie Hater rips off the tape from her arm and here you can see the bruising on this arm and the the status that it, it is in. So Hater goes for the Haterade and Tony Storm does a standing switch and unfortunately... After this standing switch, Jamie Hayter sends herself into the corner before Tony Storm can like push her or do anything. So it's like Jamie Hayter was like possessed and sends herself into the exposed buckle, and then Storm just uh, shoves her and uh, or does not shove her and hits the Storm Zero and wins in three minutes and two seconds and becomes the new champion. So I mean, th- this is a match. It's very hard to grade. Like this was a woman who probably should not have been wrestling on this show and the fact they took the title off of her maybe that does suggest like their concern of when she will be back Mm -hmm. um but yeah this this ending was not smooth yeah yeah pretty clunky as like you know like a lot of outcasts like shenanigans tend to be um and yeah, this one, you had the unfortunate handicap of someone who clearly was not 100%. But in either case, I think this was the right move. You know, number one, um, if she's injured, then, you know, you solve that. But even if she's ready to go, you're setting up a, a Jamie Hayter chase for a, for a championship in Wembley, which I think is a, you know, very, you know, good um, uh, route that they could take this. So hopefully he's good enough for that, you know, um, the fact that she was able to do as much physicality today gives me hope that she'll be able to have a full match by then. Yeah. And perhaps we'll get an update uh, coming out of the press conference about the status of uh, Jamie Hayter, although they, they are very tight lipped when it comes to injuries and, and status of performers house of black defend the trios championships against the acclaimed and daddy ass, which it was treated as this huge surprise that it was the acclaimed and daddy ass, even though like they laid out the challenge on rampage and all, but said they would be the ones challenging. Mm-hmm. So Max does a rap. I was going to say, so um, dealer's choice was no dealer's choice, right? I thought it was, there's no rope breaks because there was a point in the match said? when Bowens was reaching for the rope and one of the announcers said, there's no rope breaks. I I heard like Jim Ross or somebody say, or, or, or Tony say like, dealer's choice was no dealer's choice. <laughs> okay, Why? Why would you not make a choice? I don't know. Well, I, I thought it made no sense because Bowens is in this knee bar and he's reaching for the rope and he's like, well, there's no rope breaks. I'm like, you, if you chose this, what a, and now you're reaching I, for the I, rope. And chat like, room, like, chat room, step in here. We We need some clarification. Or were you guys just as confused? They definitely said this in the match that there were no rope breaks. Oh, okay. So, well, is that um, just because it's a tri- tri- oh whatever? Sure. It's a tri- it's a a claim. So Brian says a claim waived the dealer's choice. Well, then why were there no rope breaks? Is that just the trios rule? <laughs> oh, that's that's part of the open house rules. Oh, yeah, okay. That was right. it, right? Because it's the t- it's what the twenty count, no rope breaks. Yeah, that's right. I don't fucking know what the, there's like 50 So they didn't rules. they didn't even use the dealer's choice. Like yeah. They couldn't have just come up with anything. Like 
I don't know why they needed again. to make this an open challenge. I know that's part of the house rules, but like Wednesday we had a pre-announced, you know, uh, set of challengers. Um, whatever. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Who cares? Max does a rap. He calls Brody King a reject from RuPaul's Drag Race. Malachi is doing blackface or gets away with doing blackface. More on that later. Buddy Matthews is getting cucked by a kid named Dominic. And they are going to beat their emo asses. That was a good line. I'm sure it was hard for like I wonder if Buddy Murphy was trying hard to like keep a straight face when when the, 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 I don't know if they this crowd reacted people. to it. And so yeah, did the announcers. Line. They all got it. Yeah. So uh scissor me timbers gets stopped when Bowens comes off and gets caught in the knee bar. This is where he goes for the rope break and doesn't even know the rules of the match he has accepted the open challenge for. Uh they beat on Bowens for about an hour before uh on his knee. Black reapplies the knee bar as Buddy hits a Meteora. They continue to work on it. There's a cannonball by King, and then he avoids Dante's Inferno. King and Matthews are sent to the floor. He's crawling, and he kicks Black away, leaps for Billy Gunn, but King yanks him off. There there was something about Anthony Bowens here, this guy in the prime of his athletic career, reaching for 59-year-old Billy Gunn for for help. (laughs) And uh, Billy can't make the hot tag. Bill, Billy is the monster. Like he's Billy the is he, he is the big he, hot he's, tag. He's their Brody King. Like yes. that's how he's portrayed. Yeah. Yes. Billy's Inferno. Bowens lands a super kick to Matthews. Tags Gun and Gun was just this man is just something else. He oh man yeah he just yells at Brody King fuck you and hits the famous sir. <laughs> then he hits one to Matthews and then. Billy is standing up. He's so happy. And Malachi Black just stands from behind. I'm like, yes, this is all I wanted out of this match. Boom. He's a mass man. And Billy Gunn goes down in 15 minutes and 20 seconds. He's all I needed out of this match was this guy taking the, uh, the, the back heel kick. Actually, I think, I think Excalibur called it something. He called it, I believe, the end. Like as in Tommy end, I suppose. Black mass it's, is it's, way it's better. It's been this back heel kick for like two years in this company, and now he's like, you know what, guys, it's the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could it took have you this long for that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I thought it was ended up being a good trios match, you know. Uh, but the crowd reaction was weak for it. And at this point, I I wonder how much of it was the crowd versus maybe how much was the wrestling itself. Um, I, I, they, I think the acclaimed have cooled off. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying like to the point that it's uh, of no addition to to a show, but this is not where they were like six months ago. I, I just say. didn't think there was much to the feud. I mean, um, the fact that it was an open challenge. Um, well, they, they had been kind of building it, but I just didn't think it was all that hot. Um, I thought they did a really good job of heating up Bowens, you know, great barrage of like leg submissions from, from Malachi, great selling from Bowens. But the match never really hit the next gear and maybe wasn't even designed to at this, you know. Yeah, it was um fine. I wouldn't say like I look at these these trios championships and especially with House of Black, I would be looking at like this needs to be what like your big kick ass trios match on the show. I wouldn't say it reached that level. Um, Man, this guy uh, like a Rolling Stone sixty three brings up a great point. Didn't the acclaim win a trios battle royal to get the shot? Yes. Yes, they won the so, trios battle royal. So they didn't need to answer an open challenge anyway. Like they, they, I don't know why they they didn't build this ahead of time like they they deserved a shot i guess they could they could pick their they they were going to cash in their shot when they when they least suspect it so house of black would not be pre- able to prepare for this match so oh. it makes their loss even more um so i guess house of black don't want rampage because they clearly laid out their plans 
No, no. They uh, they were watching uh, the NBA. Uh, no, they had nothing to watch on, on Friday night. Maybe they were. Maybe they were. Uh, <laughs> they, they forgot what time it was on. They thought it was Saturday, six thirty. <laughs> Jade Cargill defends the TBS Championship against Taya Valkyrie, and uh, Jade had a hell of an entrance here with a big boss vet. Are you familiar with her? I'm not familiar. Yeah, Taya had a pretty big entrance too. Yeah, she came out with two dancers. Um, it's kind of like where, where you come out and and then she was dwarfed by I thought by Jade Cargill's entrance, which was oh, a, yeah. the more elaborate one. But nonetheless, yeah, yeah they, they came up with like non normal entrances for these two. And mm-hmm. uh, she performed Pretty Girls Walk. And were they explaining that like the women on the ramp were her sorority sisters? Yeah, they're they're members of AKA sorority, which like has some sort of longstanding history as like a like you know, like an an, an African American sorority or or something to that effect, of which Jade Cargill was a member previously. So they explained this that. was a really cool entrance for, mm-hmm. for Jade Cargill, I thought. And they showed her husband, uh, former uh, Major League Baseball player Brandon Phillips, with their daughter. And Taya immediately goes to Road to Valhalla, and it's uh, it's avoided. And Taya takes out Mark Sterling with a high cross, and then Layla Gray gets involved, not in a very convincing fashion with Taya. It kind of felt like just things stood still as Jade finally sent Taya to the floor off the apron. She hits a series of ripcord clotheslines and applies a sleeper onto Taya, which is then broken up by a blue thunder bomb. And then Jade goes for a springboard and it's caught with a, uh, a lung blower or at least close to the lungs Attempted. That she, she was yeah. trying to. Yes. Taya gets a near fall and then hits road to Valhalla. And this got a big reaction when Jade kicked out of it. It was not the most uh, authoritative uh, kick out, but I don't know how many uh, near fall spots Jade has done that are have like, been like believable ones. Might have been the biggest one. How, like, I think it was definitely the biggest one. Uh, mm. It's like she's done a few like roll up spots, but nothing like this. And Jade then just unfortunately, like the camera, it was a very bad looking kick to the jaw that it was just at the angle that you saw. It was like really off, which set up Jaded. And she pinned her in 844, improving to 60 and 0. So uh, the audience certainly responded to like Road to Valhalla. I didn't think this was like the best match. They, you know, it was better than the last one that they had where Taya couldn't use the Road to Valhalla, which is the whole kind of purpose of this uh, program and gave you the near fall here. Yeah, I thought this was a better match than that. Um, I thought they, you know, the big success of the match is the fact that they managed to achieve like a really good near fall. And and I think that's that's something they can you know hang their hat on. Overall, I I kind of felt the match was okay. You know, I I thought Jade looked good for her abilities, but is is it is this a good match compared to the rest of the show, which is what I was looking for by this point from Jade. No, this was on no. the lower end. This on end. the lower end. But yeah. you know, I didn't think Ty looked that great either. To be honest with you, there was yeah, like the the involvement with like Layla Gray. I I thought it was like it was just a very weird spot where she was getting involved from the floor, and it was. Yeah, I, I certainly feel that these two could have a, a better match together. And I think it was just a, a case of like some timing that, that was off, especially with that that bad looking kick uh, at the end. But Jade's night was not over because Sterling says that she will defend the title anytime, any place, but there's no one left. And then Chris Statlander returns to a thunderous reaction. And this this crowd, this was not the biggest reaction on the show, but this was among them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a genuine surprise. Uh, unless you listen to Waiting's uh, previews and prognostications. And Jade puts the title on the line against Chris Statlander. And Jade immediately misses a pump kick. And there's a running boot in the corner by Chris. 
And then Jade gets lifted. She stops, lands the pump kick, but then Jaded gets blocked. And Chris Statlander hits her with now the renamed Sunday Night Fever, pinning Jade in 49 seconds. And huge pop for the title change, the surprise loss, the first loss for Jade Cargill, and now our second TBS champion. So this was certainly a debated um, booking choice. In the arena, I imagine this was one of the highlights of the show. And quite honestly, with an undercard that we've just gone through, I thought like this was one of the bigger moments on the entire show because this mm-hmm. is this had not been the most overwhelming show up until this point. Yeah. I also think it instantly creates a program for Jade and a certain rematch that you get out of it. But I can also see the idea that building up to this streak ending was this the best way to do it unannounced and a surprise. And I guess time will tell if this was um, yeah. the way to do it or not. I think I think it's kind of interesting we're we're talking about this after like uh Oscar versus Bel Air which which is very much like a surprise sort of a finish as well but I while I liked Oscar versus Bel Air and, and because I think it sets up a like a, a new direction for Bel Air and I hated this. I thought this was the wrong way of doing this, you know. Um they did the WrestleMania 9 finish, you know, with Hogan, Yoko. Um and I think it's really bad to have your baby face win this way. Um, she didn't earn this at all. She, she's facing somebody who's already weakened. It, 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 it had no logic back in WrestleMania nine. Why Fuji would, you know, ultimately like just let Hulk Hogan challenge Yokozuna for a championship after going through that match. And it made no sense here. Why Sterling would put up this title against Jade Cargill after this match. I mean, she's done it in the past, I suppose with like uh, squash matches, but not after like hard fought matches, it felt the logic I, I thought was missing. I thought there needed to be something, a better reason for Jade to offer the match. Um, but I was more so disappointed at how you positioned Statlander as somebody who just basically kind of like snuck their way in. You know, um, it, it's similar to like a money in the bank briefcase surprise cash in, but for a baby face. And I don't think those I don't think those ever work out well. So instead of like giving us this big earned moment for Statlander finally conquering Jade streak. It just kind of kind of happened, you know? Yeah. And I think like it, it's hard to like it, this certainly got over with, with the crowd, but so it do always all does. of those cash ins as yeah. well. So, I mean, time will tell here. But and and number one, I'm I, I think Jade ending up in, as a baby face at some point is inevitable. Um, there's many who take to her like that anyway. But mm-hmm. even if that this sets up Jade into a, a baby face role. I would not like Chris Statlander to me, her return. Like this is someone that is very over with your crowd. I would not want to have her playing heel coming out of this either. I think that's a wasted return for her. So I, we will see where this goes, but I, I can, I can certainly see the, the argument uh, against it. I guess I didn't have a strong opinion either way. It's just a shame. Cause I, I think they had, they had 60 matches, you know, to build Jade Cargill up to the point where you'd want that, win to really feel special and i think just maybe like in in their promotion and their handling of of saying chris Stantler, lander is the one to finally give jade cargill her, her first uh loss this is great for chris statlander you know if they push her strong then she will get over but i just felt like this this moment this start should have been a lot more earned from her should not have been in this fashion do you think it it, it is rectified at all if they do like the rematch and this is like a main event on television that they can build it up. Or... Yeah. I think that would help. Although like a lot of the drama would be lost, you know, like think of those great near falls that you would have had in, in like a full on match, you know, with Chris Lat- Lander, uh, Statlander fighting from behind and, and everything. Um, 
you kind of lose it all. MJF, Jack Perry, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allen going on second from the top. So what did you think about the decision to put them in, in this position as opposed to on last? A little surprise. You know, has Tony like not main evented with um, a title match before on a pay-per-view? Like, or, 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 like, was it maybe he's like done it with the lights match? out match in the, in the, in the past. Okay. So I guess there's some precedent, but that's not sanctioned, John. Right. Um, no, but no, neither was Jericho and Adam Cole. Should that have gone on last? Oh, uh, true. Yes. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Listen, um, I was a bit surprised by it, especially since Darby, like in, in, in an interview said they were going to close the show. So I wonder if they knew whether or not they were good or, or if they were. Under I, I could certainly imagine that they went back and forth with this. I I'm of two thoughts. I, as I said on the preview, I feel I would have put these guys on last, but I guess your, your argument is that this identical match following anarchy in the arena do you put them in a position that it was a great match but they couldn't follow anarchy in the arena you might have run that risk Mm -hmm. and in this one they went out they had an unreal match and you you don't have any of that discussion but i think i still would have put it on last i don't know if it's a i think a lot of people are just going to look at this match and I, i thought like they absolutely blew this out of the water i thought that this was athletically this was incredible this was incredible for 27 minutes and and different uh, enough from anarchy in the arena that i think it could have been a very successful main event on its own i i do too i think in in hindsight like i don't think there was necessarily uh one uh, that it, it would have impacted things like i think this this would have followed it if it was this exact match Mm -hmm. and the way that anarchy in the arena ended like you do end it with a big angle at the end of it Mm -hmm. but it wasn't so much so that i could have seen them feeling like we have to end the show that way either i think this could have survived the main event slot but i think putting it in a semi-main slot is the safer bet and i think doing that assures both matches will receive maximum um, uh, energy from the crowd um, because even though this would have like garnered good reactions, there was like going to be a huge chance that chance that like people weren't going to react to like a good portion of this if it had to, had to follow anarchy in the arena. It it would have probably affected the the start of the match. Um, yeah, that's for sure. This also started minutes after Succession ended. Again, uh, no spoilers, please. Okay. What am I gonna do? How how e- could I have any spoilers? eternity ban for any eternity Succession ban. spoilers, yes. including you, John? I, 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 how would I know anything that happened? Like, you know what I was Let's doing? Let's not even stop even encouraging people right now. Yes. Sammy Guevara comes out with Ty Mello and we get the cue cards coming back and they announce that they are expecting a baby. And in 2023 booking, I was like, okay, he's definitely losing. <laughs> There's no way the expected father is getting the win here. This would be too happy of a moment. Well, I definitely th- thought this uh, re- took away any chances of him turning back heel. Um, after this uh and, and yeah like ty mello hasn't wrestled since march so timing kind of checks out um yeah mm-hmm. uh congratulations to them that's amazing congratulations news. to both yeah. of them it's great news and as tony shivani said only in AEW can we go from a wonderful announcement like that to this bizarre video for darby allen to he's at like a vegas chapel for a wedding emceed by a elvis impersonator and the bride, I guess, is wearing a MJF uh, cardboard cutout mask. And Darby shows up as the groom and murders this person. And they have to dispose of the body. And 
Darby is out in this bizarre Elvis costume for the biggest match of his life. Yeah. And Tony Schiavone was just like, the fuck are we doing? <laughs> He's like, only in AEW. Could we get a birth announcement followed by that? It was exactly a Darby Allen entrance. Everything you would expect a Darby Allen Las Vegas themed entrance to be. I, I thought it was pretty cool. And then MJF descends from a throne wearing the devil mask. And Tony is outraged at the gall, the ego of this man to lower himself in a throne. I was like, we just watched a advanced AV project that took probably weeks from Darby Allen versus I'm going to come down in a chair (laughs) (laughs) and he's got the devil mask on. And, uh, you know, it it was like three really different um, entrances. And I I mean, Sammy Guevara wasn't so much an entrance, but it was like a memorable part of his mm-hmm. entrance. And, and oh, it's it like, was. Jungle Jack was just like, I, I did not get the memo about uh, anything special. His budget is his regular being... theme and it was no no frills at all for Jack. He pays his budget for his theme song. He should have driven down on the car that he took, that he's driven to Las Vegas. All he through. should have had a live, um, the, the, the band that sings a, uh, that song what's what's their name uh tarzan boy yeah tarzan boy who does that Bal- baltimore are they still uh, active uh, i doubt it <laughs> could tony Khan have hired baltimore to this to baltimore should have played anarchy in the arena how much was the uh the band the band budget on this show because they were uh they were gonna get their money's worth in the next i mean one. i don't know how much the, the violent idols cost is that oh, what I, their 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 names are i'm not violent assuming idols? much yeah okay. So the match begins, and I'm going to do my best here. This was a athletic tour de force among yeah. these four. And, dude, um, I just thought, like, Sammy Guevara had, like, to me, one of the most impressive performances of his career. Oh, he had like, he had dad energy. Like, oh. it was like he had new dad energy, okay, which he, he's going to need a lot of uh, in, in a few months. But um, it was just like, I just made the announcement. Tonight's my night. I'm going to just light this place on fire. And he did. He pretty much did. So the three take turns with MJF in the corner, but then MJF is sent to the floor. So they start going And these three. I mean, it's, it's just incredible watching the sequences here. We see just some of the highlights here early on. Darby did use a side headlock takeover on MJF, which we would revisit later. Darby hits his crazy Lope and is caught by Guevara with a cutter on the floor that looked incredible. And then Guevara takes out everyone and hits a frog splash on MJF. There was a sign uh, facing the hard camera that read, Phil is a cancer. And then mysteriously, the sign uh, disappeared. Hmm. Yes. I I didn't get the best, uh, the longest look at this. I'm pretty sure this guy had spelt Phil P-H-I-L-L. No, come on. Someone double check for me. I'm pretty sure there was a second L, but I I couldn't rewind. So he's talking about someone else. Um, He must be. He must be. Hmm. Okay. Uh, MJF uses the side headlock takeover on Darby, but he kicks out and then he spits on Darby and calls him a worthless piece of shit, just like all these people. And then all four take each other down. The crowd is applauding this. And then we had a series of each guy using one of their mentors moves. We had a scorpion death drop from Darby. Uh, Guevara hit a code breaker. Then Darby, uh, sorry, it was uh, uh the kill switch being used by jungle boy and ending with MJF using the crossroads. Love it. So great. Really great idea that they had here. You're right. It's a P I H L L. 
(laughs) (laughs) Never change. MJF gets on the mic. He tells Sammy, listen, with the new baby coming, you need the money. (laughs) What what does this wrestling contract pay you? Lay down. And Sammy says, okay, I'll lay down. Not a person in this building bought this. But when he went for the inside cradle, it did lead to a pretty heated near fall. So it did get the pop. Uh, GTH gets stopped. Sammy goes for the walls when Darby applies the Scorpion Deathlock onto Perry. But both submissions are broken as MJF and Jack Perry lock hands. There was a four-way submission spot, and the crowd is chanting, fight forever, forever in this four-way submission spot. Just keep keep this submission going. It was like a Ouroboros. Exactly. Yes, took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Darby then sprinted on the floor, clotheslining Perry and MJF over the guardrail. This this looked nuts. I mean, in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things on this show, maybe you're not going to remember this, but I was just like, my God, this looked insane as he just dr- drilled these guys. So then we have a four-way standoff, and MJF pokes them in the eyes. Then they all drill MJF, and it's Guevara with a cutter off the top, code red by Darby, and an elbow to the back by Perry. We go into a three-way sequence with Perry, Darby, and Guevara all going for these covers, including a crucifix by Perry on Guevara with a bridge by Darby. I mean, just, it was incredible. It was so they, fluid. They got a standing ovation. After oh, these, this these crowd seasons. was just, they were in awe of what they were seeing. Yeah. MJF then uh, brings out the blonde bombshell. And I mean, before I could even type it, um, uh, Taz is immediately tying this to Chris Candido. Like oh, okay. I was big... wondering what what who you're talking about, but that's the top row power bomb. This is yes. uh, this was the move Candido saw Benoit do in Japan, and he just fell in love with this move, and it became mm. like his big move was the blonde bombshell. And you're going to hear about this a lot on Dark Side this week with Candido being the subject. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was wonderful that Taz was on commentary for this because he actually happened to correct. He got it. He immediately yeah uh, noted it. So that yeah, was he, very well, cool. like Scalber rightfully you know would assumed awesome bomb but you know taz knew the connection to exactly. candido and mjf yeah yes and mjf is actually selling his arm after delivering this but it's all a ploy to low blow guevara and then he pulls out the dynamite ring darby nails him with a skateboard to the back of the head and goes for the coffin drop and dude this coffin drop i thought he like crushed mjf's face he came down and it was not on the chest it looked so brutal Mm-hmm. And then he goes for the headlock takeover. Jack Perry dives in to break it. And they're screaming that Darby would have been champion. Big slap fight between Perry and Darby. Um, not too far from the home of uh, Power Slap here in Vegas. Could have tried um, this out at the, at the Apex. Yes. MJF, sorry. MJF gets the belt and Perry blocks blocks it. And... Sammy Guevara takes MJF out to the floor and the belt lands in Perry's hands. And there is Darby all discombobulated. And they, the announcers are very good on this, mm-hmm. this whole match and tying this all and how Darby said, you won't, you, you won't take advantage and have that killer instinct. And here is Jack Perry having this realization and he opts not to use it. And this crowd boos. He even like looked up in the sky as if he was like, Hey dad, should I join the dark side? You know, that, that sort of thing. And yeah, the crowd wanted to see the turn and Dylan, Dylan McKay would have done this in a heartbeat. Oh, 100%. Brandon. I loved how like they had um, Darby prior to this use the skateboard on MJF. Like Darby's not above this. He's a baby face. And, and they're here to show that, you know, Jack Perry is a different type of baby face. So by dropping the title um, onto the floor, Darby recovers and he applies the last supper and 
Jack Perry kicks out of this. And I feel this was just going so fast that people cannot appreciate how protected that last supper has been. Totally. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone's ever kicked out of this. Uh, to I, me, this was like a big spot that Jack Perry got, but yeah. it was just so much was happening that I feel it wasn't as pronounced as it could have been. It, it was a big spot to me. Cause yeah, I don't really recall anybody kicking out of like, it's a very protected pinfall. So yeah. And then we're just going crazy here. Flying knees by Guevara, a GTH onto Perry. Darby then shoves Guevara off the top and Darby goes for the coffin drop. But MJF is back into the ring and he places the title onto Jack Perry's chest. So Darby doesn't see that he lands onto the belt and MJF picks up Darby and uses the side headlock takeover to pin him at 27 minutes and 49 seconds. Whoever came up with this finishing sequence was brilliant. I thought mm-hmm. this was like a perfect ending to this match. Uh, 100%. Dude, this match was out of this world. Incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not the, listen, I, I, I truly appreciate where we're about to talk about anarchy in the arena, but mm-hmm. um, for, for what I enjoyed the most, um, th- this was the match for me on the show. I just, I, I thought, honestly, this, this might've been the best like four way I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, I I would not um fight anybody to you know if if they you had two incredible candidates and this did not main event but I think they definitely convinced a lot of people that they should have and that's I, I as much of a compliment as I think you can give these four um it's it was such a beautifully designed match involving all four men and where do we start here you know like first of all the entrances I thought were meaningful they were grand. Uh, I love the spot of everybody hitting their mentors, finishers. Like you had so many different chapters throughout the match to keep your focus and to keep your attention. So many memorable things about it, you know, um, the, 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 the baby, like, you know, the MJF bringing up um, the baby to, to get Sammy to turn leading to a great small package, the four way submission, the Mexican standoff with the elbow and the ending with the, the eye poke, the Canadian destroyers, like, uh, Perry, you know, like going through this sort of like um, uh, moral, you know, uh, debate about whether or not he should use the title, which is something I hope they continue to build on and that they finally execute so that we, you know, get that big reaction. But no matter what you thought about the build, and it's definitely, you know, received mixed reactions, especially from us, but from the audience as well. It, It was always going to come down to this match that's going to leave the lasting legacy. And they knocked it out of the park. They delivered this beautiful match of the year contender and for a lot of people, I, I wouldn't uh, doubt that they would agree with you that this might be the best four-way that they've seen. I just I, I just thought this was out of this world. And I, I was expecting a phenomenal match from these four. It was really, uh, I don't know what more I could say about it other than it was a must-see match on, on this show. And that uh, set things up for the main event um, with Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page against the BCCs, Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta. And we've got a live performance by uh, the violent what? The violent... Uh, the violent idols. The violent idols. And yeah. this um, this front man for the violent idols um, certainly was uh, debated um, in terms yeah. of this man's uh, choice of mask. I'm imagining this is like, dude, I've never heard of this band before. I imagine this is his, uh, his mask he wears, but to someone that has never seen them before, um, I think uh, Max Caster would have definitely uh, taken issue with um, the, 
Yeah, it was a mask. black mask with like, you know, a bit of red like on the chin. And uh, obviously, if you see if you see the imagery and I think with the, the idea of blackface on the mind, thanks to that Max Caster rap, that's immediately the first thing I certainly thought of. Um, I think even without the rap, that would have been the natural connection you would have uh, made to this. Sure. But I mean, it was also fresh on the mind, which probably didn't help things. But I mean, um, I, 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 this is not like, I think that big of a band to my knowledge, like at least judging by their Instagram count, uh, follower count. Um, the guy normally wears Max. I, I guess it's like a slipknot type of type of thing. Um, so kind of unfortunate and, and maybe just um, poor choice for any night. But you know, what's a great color for a mask. Anything but that. Any other yeah. color, probably mm-hmm. is okay. Right, That'd be a good a uh, good good rule. So they are performing Wild Thing as BCC enters through the crowd, and they've all got like their their like uh cut off like jackets with like their, their mox na- jackets. Yeah, yeah, and they've got the names on them. With the best one being Claudio's that just reads Swiss. Yeah, that's Swiss. a nickname. That should be his name after this. Oh, Swiss. sure. So what's Yuda? Yuda just says Yuda, right? <laughs> and Danielson was what? He didn't, didn't have one. I didn't see Danielson's, if he had one or not. Uh, we also had Don Callis on commentary. So you knew he was getting involved somewhere. And, dude, this was just insane to follow because we have eight guys, and they are in all different parts of the arena and eventually backstage where you have the eye for this. Like, what did you think about the directing of this match and trying to (sighs) keep on top of everything? Because when when the camera was not on Nick Jackson for about five minutes, all I'm thinking of is there's no way this guy is just taking a powder for five minutes. What is this guy doing and not realizing none of it's being captured? It was chaotic. Yeah. Which I I think helps is part of the intent of the match, you know, like I, I'm not going gonna... to quick cuts and violence that yeah. kind of does add to the, the chaos that you are. Convinced. Plus you had, you know, this dude in the blackface mask playing wild thing the entire time, you know, like it's just it, this match was stimulus overload. Okay. And I think that was like the effect that was intended. And, and therefore if, if, if the camera or if the director misses a few things here and there, some things that like man like like you know for instance like uh kenny taking or, or mox taking like you know the the um the thing into the, the the barbed wire um some of those things that you you would hope um that they would catch but the general feeling of chaos i i think was effective oh i i certainly think they they conveyed that 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 portion of it and i I'll be honest, like I, I did not feel this like th- this was crazy. And I'm sure it was a, a nightmare to try and uh, mm-hmm. block all of this and, and kind of uh, direct this. But I I it, it was it to me was just like added to the chaotic sure. nature that you're, you're trying to get across here. Um, so like everyone thought the first person to bleed was Rick Knox. <laughs> we don't of course, we don't see how. Like no, no, do plenty of people bled, and I cannot tell you what what caused it, including like Moxley must have just seen Steve Macklin on Friday and just yeah. made a mental note that he I must read. have just sneezed. And started he could have, he could have. Uh, one early uh, moment of the match sees Hangman Page face to face with Brian Danielson, and he removes the eye patch and has a screwdriver. Uh, but then Yuta gets involved, dude. Uh, Wheeler Yuta, they gave so much b- before we even get to the ending. He was like 
the guy that was always there to save. He got to kick out of the buckshot lariat. They mm-hmm. made a concerted effort that this was a leveling up for Yuta, who yeah. was going to be in many ways, like the MVP for the BCC. He definitely gained the most out of this. I mean, you have, you know, eight guys, seven of which are already established stars. Um, people who have won championships. Yuta is just sort of like the, you know, still the young line of, of this mix. And he came out of it gaining the most for sure. The Young Bucks made their way up to the entrance. And for the first, what would you say, five, six minutes, they're continuing to play Wild Thing. And you're just wondering more than that. Dude, they played like three rounds of Wild Thing. Yeah, it went it went for a period. I didn't know how long this guy's voice. What did was you think last. about it this year? I mean, because they they tried the gimmick last year. This this year was a live live band. If the BCC are involved in anarchy in the arena again, do we get it again next year? Um, to me, it was. I was glad that they cut it off when when they did. It was it was fine. I would I would not have had this gone any longer. I think it would have become a detriment. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I and last year they cut it off at some point too you know yeah but, eventually but i mean just even the idea of it i i liked it you know it's part of the dna of the match at yeah. this point that they it's have just crazy it's hard to focus you could barely hear the announcers you know it's like it, it, again stimulus overload i think was the point of the match so the bucks make their way to the entrance and they super kick the uh the, the front man here and uh and he's done for the night big baby face reaction yes yes uh, moxley and omega fight near the entrance and they fight over the large double or nothing poker chip that bonds these two going back to the first double or nothing. And like any poker chip has barbed wire attached to the back of it, um, which both men ended up getting suplexed on and Omega um, getting a fork stabbed into his forehead. So Matt and Claudio fight into the concourse, which sees Claudio use a giant swing delivering Matt's head into the trash can. And Actually, at that point, when I saw his head go into that trash can and then do like a flip off of the um, like the counter where the concession area is, I was thinking at that point, like Matt is just killing himself in this match. And at the end of this, I was like, like this guy just came in and he was like, let's let's see what my body can withstand in this match. That seemed to be mm-hmm. Matt's uh, wish. Yeah. The announcers start to debate about what is stuck in Moxley's back. If it's glass, if it's a part of the chip, if it, they didn't know what was lodged in his back, but there, there was, was something be- besides barbed wire attached to the chip. And it was really hard to tell. Cause it was like some black, um, there, there, there might've been like material. glass. Sure. Why not throw a bit of glass in there, throwing a glass, throwing a leaf blower. <laughs> and then we see a, Boston Crab crossface combo onto Nick Jackson by Moxley and Yuta. And Matt returns. Oh, sorry. Claudio and Matt also made their way outside. And uh, Matt was pile driven into the back of a pickup truck and comes back selling his neck. And he super kicks John Moxley to break the Boston Crab. And his shoe explodes in Moxley's face. This is like what they warned you as a kid about like wearing LA lights. And if you step into a puddle or something like what could happen to you. Goodness, and I never wow. believed it, but my parents wouldn't buy me LA lights. Wow. Well, I had pumps and uh, they never exploded like this, but um... well, to me, it's like this to me would be really bad for John Moxley. It would be catastrophic for Matt Jackson. Like if mm. the explosion is from your shoe. Okay. Like your foot is taking the brunt it's... of this, no matter what face how close the face is like your foot is fucked a hundred percent 
Well, I mean, you don't know what sort of protective coating this, this, you know, this Jordan. Like the, the, nothing. The, we literally saw they just took his shoe off and his sock. He had no protection underneath. Probably more protection than Moxley's face, though. Well, he he lived. They hey, it just lived. it looked really cool. Okay, exploding fists, exploding ki- pu- ki- feet, exploding heads. You know, this Anything is how exploding. Sean should beat Brett in Anaheim. <laughs> um, exploding. The boyhood dream has just exploded. <laughs> is this Mox- the new level of wrestling? Is this where we're at now? Like exploding, like, you know, clothesline, um, exploding elbow drops. Like, or we just add, add Dude, imagine like a, shit? imagine a buckshot Larry at that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Give it to me. Moxley comes back after his face was uh, ripped off by the, the pumps and he's got thumbtacks and he pours them onto the mat. It's like, oh, we, we've seen thumbtacks a million times. What are they going to do here? Well, they take off Matt Jackson's shoe and his sock, and they lift up Matt Jackson. And, dude, I my stomach turned here knowing what was about to happen, and they yeah. dropped this guy's foot onto these tacks. Dude, I was not – I just did not need to see this. I did not need this visual. It's so interesting, like, the you know, our human psychology and what we react to. Because, like, we've seen a million times people, like, you know, fall on their backs on thumbtacks. Like, um, even, like, I don't know, get get thumbs thumbtacks in their hands and their faces. But it's, like, something about, like, the foot that we just can't stand. We can't even stand Lego spots. And, you know, the, certainly the thumbtack is taking it to the next level. This is just because, like, we're so sensitive to, like, our feet not even touching anything but, you know, comfortable sole. Isn't there, like, the psychology of, like, you know, like, running across, like, uh, uh, like fire embers and stuff? It's just, like, you if, it, if it's a grand, it's, if it's a mass amount of it that it almost uh, – Like a thumbtack board, yeah. Is this yeah. the next – like, do people do this on retreats, walk across a thumbtack? I would like to know Matt Jackson's psychology uh, that, that went into the, the spot because uh, it looked <laughs> brutal, but uh, they, they promised brutal, and they delivered it to you. And then he takes a Death Rider and – Kicks out at two. And then there's a cutter to Nick onto the tax. We see a V trigger to Claudio, Busaiku knees onto Omega and Hangman. And then they place tax into Matt Jackson's mouth for a European uppercut by Swiss. Yuta hits a bridging German and Page goes to make the save and got there. Like uh, you could argue he was uh, a little late here on, on the save, but nonetheless, big return, big return here from Hangman. Omega and Page fight together and they make the comeback. There's a dead eye on Danielson, one winged angel on Danielson, and you think it's over. Yuta makes the save for the team. And then here's Hangman. He's like 25 minutes into this Orihara moonsault to Claudio on the floor. And at this point, Don Callis has made his way ringside, and Yuta ducks the buckshot. Callis hands off the screwdriver to him, and Omega is in the ring, turns around, and he sees Don Callis. And everyone's thinking, finally, he's going to get his hands on him. When a man with his uh, with a hidden identity runs into the ring, nailing Omega, and reveals himself to be Konosuke Takeshita, who has aligned, or still with, Don Callis, and this crowd is pissed. And Yuta uses the screwdriver to Kenny Omega and applies the seatbelt and pins Kenny Omega in 26 minutes and 57 seconds to end a a violent, violent spectacle. I don't know how to review this thing, man. It's like, it was just like a barrage of just everything, you know, um, 
So this match, I thought, had the challenge of justifying its spot in the main event, and I thought it absolutely achieved it. Um, there's no match like this. I mean, there are a lot of, like, brawls, but there are no matches involving the Blackpool Combat Club, it's specifically the style of brawling that, like, John Moxley has ushered that makes this such a perfect match type for that just complete, just chaotic violent style um and i love the story that they ended up telling here where it was very clear that this was the blackpool combat club's game and the elite were overwhelmed they're not used to this 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 type of match and this level and um they were basically down several moments here you know they were uh there were several um uh, handicap advantages for the blackpool combat club and i think a lot of wonderful like underdog positions that pairings of, of the elite found themselves in all building up to this wonderful sort of like little mini reunion between page and omega where they were able to do a lot of their tag team spots again in sort of this last ditch effort to try to like make up for um whatever they will however much they were down but it was spectacular it was everything you wanted it to be it never dipped in energy once it was crazy and completely pay-per-view worthy in my opinion yeah i mean these last two matches were spectacular for what they were totally divergent matches from one another no one is confusing one with the other but yes was this the most violent match in AEW history i mean hard to say I wouldn't say so. Like, what, 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 what would you say is the most violent match in AEW history? Are we talking about blood loss, like being the principal determinant of that? Yeah, I think that I, I think your short list would be. Uh, I would have to give it some thought because we, we've also seen some really violent ones on Dynamite. The pay per view ones that come to mind for me are are Moxley with, with Kenny Omega, the Lights Out match, and Moxley Hangman recently. That was pretty violent. That might have been it, actually. Yeah. In, in terms of imagery. But I mean, this was I'll be honest, watching this like that, that impact main event on Friday was pretty goddamn violent. I mean, it was like not a far cry from this, like with Steve Macklin and and PCO. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, you know, like calling it the most violent match in AEW history was just sort of like a hook, like a like a like a tagline for you for you to get excited about ultimately coming out of the match. It was a hard sell at the end of that show. I mean, it's you know, you, you have a John Moxley stating that I think like that would be. Sort of if you're on the fence about buying a show and that's your last impression on Dynamite, I think yeah. it probably swayed some buys. But if you're like, you know, like watching this match based off of a promo, like I, I don't think you'd come out of this complaining whatsoever. Like this was everything it promised to be. It was anarchy inside an arena. And you had a satisfying, you know, like storyline turn here from Takeshita, uh, which elicited a whole lot of Ibushi chants from this crowd. So it opens it up now because afterwards... Uh, Don Callis used his belt to choke Kenny Omega, and they still left it as a question if this means Don Callis and Takeshita, by extension, are with the BCC or not. They were the BCC were standing around, but it's not as though there was some big embrace or this was a big plan. So, mm. and Excalibur said as much that you know the follow up is on Wednesday on Dynamite. So you do have a, a story that comes out of this. You have a lot of different combinations, like from Takeshita and Omega, and the natural question of if Takeshita joins the the BCC, the opening that the elite need a fifth man. Very much so, yeah. Uh, of course, we have Blood and Guts coming up, which tends to be like the second half of these anarchy um, in the arena slash uh, stadium stampede matches. And uh, I think it sets up a wonderful chapter two, you know, where the stakes could even be higher for um, for these groups. And I hope Okoda Ibushi, you know, team up with the elite. Um, but I 
I I don't know. I don't know if he's coming. You do a Brandon, Brandon Cutler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. So what, what, what did you think overall of, of the show? Is this a thumbs up show for you? Because mm, I, this hard. is a really tough show to grade because mm-hmm. those two matches were like those two show those, those two matches made the show for me. I have a really hard time uh, criticizing this, but in terms of the entire show, um, yeah, it was like up until those last two matches, um, this would have been an underwhelming AEW show. For me. Yeah, but the battle this, Royal was very good. I like the tag match, the FTR match a bit more than you, but, but but this show was not sold on anything but the top two matches, right? Mm-hmm. So when you asked, did you get your money's worth? I absolutely have to think you, we you all did. did. Yes. Yeah, because they did just deliver like very satisfying versions of what they promised. I thought they were exceedingly better than what I even expected in both cases. So yeah, 100%. And, and the Battle Royal I thought was really good. Yeah, the, the Battle Royal is really worth it if you if you have the time to check it out because they did a very good job with the Battle Royal. All right, we're going to send it off to you. So if you would like to call in, you can uh, join the StreamYard room. The link was sent out to all of our members at postwrestlingcafe.com. And for $6 a month, that gets you access to the cafe. And this coming week, four shows available for cafe members, including Wednesday night after our Dynamite review, we're going to be jumping on the cafe and we will be reviewing the first episode of this season of Dark Side of the Ring uh, covering Tammy Sitch and Chris Candido. So that is Wednesday night. And then we will have uh, Rewind Away on Thursday covering NXT TakeOver 2 from or Brooklyn 2. Is that what it was? Yes. Brooklyn, Brooklyn 2. 2. Samoa Joe and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. That's right. Uh, Friday's Rewind to SmackDown. And then Sunday, Karen Peterson and Bruce Lord are reviewing Dominion. Postwrestlingcafe.com and video.postwrestling.com. And also starting this Wednesday, exclusive reviews of Dark Side of the Ring every single week after our dynamite reviews. That's right. Every, yeah. every Wednesday we'll be doing the review of dark side on the cafe right afterwards. And uh, this week, Brandon Thurston and I will be chatting with Evan Husney uh, from dark side of the ring. So you can look out for that later on this week. So we have calls. Yeah. Um, let's go. First of all, here to Brian. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. what do you think of tonight's show? Am I coming through? Okay. Yes, you are. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Cause carry on my wayward hosts. There'll be peace here at post. Lay your wary headphones at rest, but not until the show is done. Uh, yeah, this Beautiful this paper- could could, <laughs> could you sing that for uh, ten minutes uh, for Anarchy in the Post Office? I'm going to need a mask for that first. Oh jeez! Oh goodness! <laughs> uh, right. Yellow or or uh, green or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, are, they, you got to watch your colors for sure. Yeah, yes. I know. I do. <laughs> Oh uh, boy, yeah, yeah. I, I googled that band. They, they he does usually wear masks of different colors, but like a yeah, white mask, right? Something like that. Yeah, S- similar design, but yeah, that mm. that was a choice. Um, Decided this, to go rogue tonight. I'll say this pay, this pay view did not touch the last pay view revolution, and you know for a while I was thinking the best match was the Blackjack Battle Royal, which had a lot of good highlights to it, including uh, the Lucha Collective coming together with a. Bandu with the vertical suplex and three others like protecting him. I, I wish they could have carried through that until the end of the match, but they didn't have their plans together. Uh, but yeah, um, if I'm ever going to watch a show again on Bleacher Report, it will be the last two matches, which I thought were just incredible. But there are also some uh, really big mom- moments throughout the throughout the show. And while I think the bulk of the show was weak. I also think that they could stand to spread the pay-per-view love to other cities, not just Vegas every Memorial Day and Chicago every Labor Day. And also, I expect sometime later for MJF to say that he's the father. 
Okay. Oh, wow. Ouch. Hey, um, so John, like, you know, judging by today's attendance, would you classify this as a success? Like, is this enough to get AEW to return again next year? I, this had been hovering around like under 7,000 for, for weeks. And then mm-hmm. they did move some tickets recently. And I don't know if that, that coin, I'm pretty sure like Brandon was saying, like it had coincided with like some like discounted prices. So I don't know what the gate is. And I think that would be uh, somewhat, uh, you know, in, indicative in terms of the, like how this, you could certainly look like the demand was, was well down for, for mm-hmm. the show when you compare it to other, you know, pay-per-views that they have had in, in Vegas. And if that's the case, like maybe you do look at the fact that, you know, Vegas, it's your, you're marketing towards a fan base that's going to travel and how many people that they have a trip in mind and they're going to Toronto next month, for instance, or maybe they're planning to go to all in and, traveling to uh, Vegas for double or nothing is not the, that's kind of the difference when you have a traveling crowd and suddenly you're doing more pay-per-views or, or more important shows um, mm-hmm. that you could, you could benefit from you know, going, going to different markets where you would have the, the higher demand for, for a show. But you know, obviously AEW, they really do like having these signature events in a city every single year and creating that, that tradition. Any other thoughts, Brian? Uh, yeah, I just read a, on Twitter, Trevor Dames re- recap of the uh, post-show press conference, and it seems like the best mo- the best uh, points of the press conference were with MJF and Brian Danielson. So I'll probably check any news? Out later. Uh, no news, no. Okay. Uh, cool. And also, a uh, well, quick question before I log off: uh, Jordan Grace is uh, leaving Impact. Uh, where do you think her future endeavors lie? Um, thanks very much, Brian. I, I think she would be an asset to either company. And I would say that would be like, I I'd be going aggressively after her if I was either company. I think she's in a very good position, um, to be, uh, moving to one of those companies and it, and it's a blow to their knockouts division, uh, losing her. They've, especially over this past year, really gotten behind her. And yeah, I think that, you know, she has a very unique look and is, you know, very, very good, good worker. So I think that uh, both, both companies could definitely gain from, from having her. Like she, she would be to me like a totally different style of performer you could have in, in WWE on either side to, to work with a Bianca or to work with um, any of your, she, she can work baby face or heel, but I think coming in as a heel would be a good start there, but yeah, she could also work well in AEW too. Let's go to some super chats here from earlier on in the show. And thank you guys for your support, especially if you guys are uh, watching live. Jay Caleb show sends $5. Thank you, Jay Caleb. He says a lot of people still say Yuta doesn't fit in. He looked great tonight. They did a tremendous job with with Yuta in, in the main event. Like, they, it, like obviously, when you look at the different priorities to get across in that match, um, Wheeler Yuta was a high priority for sure i hope and i really hope they make a big deal out of it coming out of this you know like just remind everybody that hey this is like what's what's the next stage for a wheeler yuda so let's see let's go up next to sin city saint who sends ten dollars thank you sin city saint he says can't wait for jimmy uso to hit roman with an exploding super kick good match but four away was my match of the night also kenny spoke post-match stating he has one or two friends he can still call Hmm. michael nakazawa Okay. Yes, of course. And um Dan Shikadino. That's that was who I was gonna assume as well. Yes. Right. Maybe some of his uh, friends from Deep South. Maybe, maybe. Sin City Saint. 
Also sends five dollars. Thank you. He he says, as somebody from Vegas, the problem with having it the event over the holiday is room prices skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. Okay, so uh, probably drives away some fans. He says. Yeah, but I mean, they've been running Memorial Day now five years in a row. So I mean, this is not uh, a unique weekend that they chose this year either. Um, you know, it's it's still like even when you look at. Um, you know what what they put in there like it's 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 a big building the T-Mobile Arena but don't, it's don't you also wonder if like there might be some sort of incentive for them to hold an event during a holiday weekend if if these hotels can charge higher prices yeah like i i'm sure like remember they wanted to run three shows in Vegas this week like they were going to do dynamite rampage and the pay-per-view this week with the two at the MGM and then yeah. tonight at T-Mobile and it was only because of the the whole playoff schedule that Rampage got moved to Dynamite on on the Wednesday night, but they were going to do three nights in Vegas. Yeah, and, and I, by incentive, I mean like perhaps a discount on on um on a you know a, a booking or something like that. This is all speculation, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's something to that. Um, let's go to Matt Hahn, who sends who just sent a five dollar super chat. Thank you so much, Matt. He says there are so many intriguing singles matches they could do with the Elite versus BCC. What is the best main event singles match for the first Collision? Um, it's, it's really going to depend on what collision is made up of. Um, and if like, will it be collision collision? is kind of being designed to not be a show with the elite. So it would kind of, um, almost defeat the purpose if you, you had that access. Um, so yeah, for the first, I I would do something very big on that first collision, whether it's MJF defending the title against somebody or, and you certainly have created that where you could do a singles match of MJF against, any one of the people that were in the match, um, you could turn that around very quickly to do on June 17th. But there's there's different options. Obviously, the the main event of the first collision is going to be whatever CM Punk is doing on that show. But yeah, uh, yeah. Do, doing Spe- doing a big match would be um, yeah. Uh, would- Specific to this feud, I, I think, you know, you have um, so many possibilities, but like Yuta and Omega Claudio, Yuta is a rematch you could go to at, at some point. You could go to Yuta and Claudio as a team versus the Bucks, or Yuta and Claudio versus uh, you know Page and Omega. Page and Omega simply teaming back up again in a tag team capacity, I think, right. is a big draw. Yeah. You know, so so have those two going up against Danielson and Mox. I think that'd be amazing. Omega you know? and Takeshita, you've clearly made uh, right. at, at some point. Like you, you have a lot of matches to come out of this with. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, those super chats, guys. Let's go up next to Andy B. Welcome to the show, Andy B. Hi guys, hope you're well. I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can. can. Hey. So, so guys, a fantastic weekend of wrestling. So I just wanted to say my two highlights of the weekend were Cody versus Brock Lesnar and the Anarchy in the Arena match. Mm-hmm. One of them was like this throwback to um, old school Southern wrestling with WWE's production value. And this, I found, was a throwback to ECW with everything right from the violence and the chaos to the music playing over the match. It was just, both of them were just uh, so different, but still over the top and campy in the way I want wrestling to be. And I am just here for it. This is what I want from two different major league wrestling companies. Very well said. I I very much agree with you. Um, They were not just, you know, throwbacks, but like great examples of both of them, you know, to the highest quality. So very much agreed, Andy. Thank you. Okay, so also, I had, yep. wanted to ask you one question about um, today's fatal four-way match. So I felt a little underwhelmed with this ma- with the build to this match more specifically because I thought there was more sense of jeopardy in it if it was just a one-on-one feud between MJF and Darby Allen because then I would have actually bought Darby Allen as a viable challenger for MJF's title. 
So I didn't find any jeopardy going into this match because I felt it was a bit of a foregone conclusion that MJF was just going to win. Where do you guys stand on this? Do you think the end justifies the means just because the match blew it all away? Or do you think um, it would have been better if they'd just gone with a more compelling story? I, th- I think until we know how this show performs, it, it's hard to answer because I think ultimately it's like a great match is great to have as the, the end product, but it's you're selling people on buying a pay-per-view and did they do enough to sell people on the pay-per-view? Now, I think over time people saw kind of anarchy in the arena sort of, you know, if, if this does a above average number, at least of what people expect for this show to do. I think anarchy in the arena is going to get more of the credit than, than the four way. But I, I think at the same time, you can't state that they had no, like it was a, there was a number one match. There was a number two match. And then like way said, I think then there was sort of everything else. So they deserve whatever it, it, this show does. It's, you know, part of it, you attribute to this. I think ultimately that was an issue that they had that, Going into this, you were expecting a great match, but did they sell you on any of the three as viable contenders to win the title? I, I don't think they got the best w- out of Darby, but I don't think anyone was expecting that for this. But there was a lot handicapping them ahead of this. You know, it's it's hard enough, I would say, to build a four way as like any sort of like definitive feud anyway, especially when you're talking about three other wrestlers who have never main evented a pay-per-view before and still have it, uh, unfortunately, at this point. But you're also going up against the biggest stars of your company being put in one of the biggest match types of this company's entire year in Anarchy in the Arena. So at no point, I would say, like, should we have expected this to simply carry the pay-per-view on its own without something like an Anarchy in, in the arena um i i think you bring up a great point andy and one that i've kind of wondered myself like the build itself you know would it have been better spent by simply putting it all behind darby allen rather than you know spreading it amongst the other three um i would have said yes you know certainly a week ago but again so much of my my memory like does the end justify the means i think it kind of does because this match ended up being so good in history, I hope they continue to push this tonight's match as like a very definitive, you know, like career making match for like three of the four. And they continue to build this up so that the next time we get it, they, all four of them are legitimate headliners. Um, knowing that it's ultimately just a semi main event. And when I say just, I really mean like, you know, it, it's a big deal. But, you know, this was a great semi main event. Um, and so I would say. I can't really complain, especially like just given the quality. Um, but if you're strictly talking about the build, we could still definitely criticize a whole lot about it. Thanks, yes, so just as I leave one last question, do we know if Jake Cargill is injured or anything along those lines? It seemed to be a rush decision to take the title off her today. Thanks so much. She, she wrestled a pretty full match tonight. Yeah. Like I wouldn't suspect that. No. But thank you, Andy, for the call. Um, let's get Hanzi up next. Hey, Hanzi, what's up? Yo, what's going on? Um, I, 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 same sentiments like the last two matches were really good. Um, I, I thought like overall, like I thought there was like I expected some of the matches to have some overbooking in it, but I just thought it was like a ninety-nine level attitude era pay per view in some of these matches with how how much how much over. You, you need to go back and watch some ninety-nine WWF pay per views <laughs> and then watch this. No, 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 but I'm talking about the the, the, the overbooking. Thirty of minutes it. of Vincent Test, yeah. No, I, I mean, but like you know, like like you know, just like a, a, a lot of dirty finishes, basically. You know what I mean? Just you know, I, I just normally AEW is good with like not really 
going relying on like some of those like you know dirty finishes or overbooking. Like they'll keep them under chaotic matches. Like I even thought that the battle royal, I, I enjoyed that match, but I thought that um, another feud should have used a title. Now I thought like you could have, you could have done it unless they're trying to put Hobbs in in that position because that's probably why they didn't put him in the battle royal. Maybe I don't know, but um, I thought um the fatal four way was probably like my favorite match of the night. And the problem, the problem that I had with like the BCC versus the Elite, not so much with the B, the BCC did a good job with their end of building it up. I thought you know they all killed it with that. I feel like because I just saw you know WWE and you know they just had a pivotal moment with the Bloodline storyline, so the comparison's fresh in my head because the Elite storyline in AEW is kind of similar. Not it's not similar to the Bloodline storyline, but but like they're both like been like prominent focus. Um, like you know, the elite's like whole storyline has revolved around the AW like identity basically, and I thought like for a big time re- reunion with Kenny Omega and Hangman, I don't think like a thirty second promo on Dynamite really like like salvages like the moment. You know what I mean? Like at least with like the Bloodline storyline, people can talk about how goals and doors and all that kind of stuff, but I think they land their moments a lot better. I think AW has a hard time doing that. Like I didn't even know about that Don Cal's interview. Now I got to go watch it and. That promo probably would have sold me a whole lot more. I, I don't know why they under under undervalue their promos and like capitalize on the moment. That's that's the only thing I took away from it. But overall, the pay per view was decent with those two matches. I I'll even say the acclaimed versus House of Black match was probably one of the first matches where I thought like it actually like was like the a competent book competent booking in it where I actually enjoyed the aggression and the acclaimed and all that kind of stuff. I hope they run that back with a feud or something like that. But overall I just thought the show was a little bit disappointing. But the final two matches uh, left me happy. So it's that's all I can really say though. So thanks a lot for um letting me on. So peace out guys. Thanks Hansi. Thank you Hansi appreciate it. Let's go up next to Kevin. Hey Kevin welcome. Kevin are you there? Am, am I here? I, I feel you like are. here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, long can. time wellness policy caller. Uh, first time John Pollock caller. Hello, two AM. John Pollock. How we doing? Um, Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I saw I saw Double or Nothing tonight in the movie theater. I think that's the move, unless you're doing NordVPN, of course. Um, BR Live has done me dirty five too many times, and uh, the atmosphere was great. There was like ten of us all told, so it was rocking. But uh. Yeah, there was a rough stretch from OC retaining start of M. Cole till about the latter part of the ladder match. I just was so mm-hmm. intrigued by how like unhinged that ladder match became. It was so campy, and, and I just thought Arn was going to take a crazy bump through a table or something. But uh, no, like the crowd in the arena and in the theater seemed to pick up from, I would say, like the Jade entrance like that actually picked the crowd up and people were into mm. it and mm. then uh that title switch was kind of ex- like expected in the back of you know maybe long time long-term thinkers minds but it came off good to me i'm not gonna go too hard on that but the last two matches make no mistake that was what that was the the crux of this pay-per-view that's what needed to deliver and the fact that it delivered but delivered like and then some i mean there, there's i'm probably only going to be thinking of those matches for the next few days for sure sounds like an but, like uh, what was it like watching anarchy in the arena in a theater it was wild we were hooting and hollering and just no all bets were off you know just on our phones just standing up and 
I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it was crazy. Like, you know, the AEW is going to miss camera shots, like, historically, but, like, that, you're you're not going to be able to, you know, film that match perfectly. But mm-hmm. I was laughing for, like, this is not a bad thing. I was laughing for, like, at least 10 minutes straight just because of the sheer absurdity, like, Claudio dumps Nick Jackson on his head in the bed of a truck, and then he just, like, pauses and improvs, I'm the king of Las Vegas. Like that was just it was just good stuff. I just was like the Takeshita turn. Maybe you could you know see it coming, but the execution was phenomenal. That that little heel smirk was just phenomenal. I was it was worth the twenty dollars I paid USD. Very good. No, it sounds like a fun time. I think that the, the movie theater experience is probably a, a great way to enjoy a lot of these shows. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Hey, thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the call. Later. Okay, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com where we have a few pieces of feedback. I'll start, John. Let's go to Luke Kale from Quebec who says, entertaining show overall with a really fun opener, lots of memorable moments and two great final matches, but everything else was pretty average. I saw John say the show was built around the last two matches, but shouldn't the goal be for every match on the show to be great? I think AEW's booking of the mid card has been pretty weak lately, and that was reflected in the crowd reactions tonight. They were very hot for key moments and for the main events, but subdued for everything else, and I don't blame them at all. As always, AEW delivers big time on the in-ring, but the weekly booking of storylines has lots of room for improvement. All right, let's continue on with uh, Cody from Maine, who writes in, not AEW's best pay-per-view by any means, but they stuck the landing. Early on, the consensus online seemed to be that the crowd wasn't into the show, but by the ending, it was clear they just didn't view certain matches as pay-per-view worthy, but they got up big time for the ones they did. To that point, I hope to see FTR in a bigger feud moving forward and to see Cole separated from Jericho after Dynamite. I thought 20, 2022 was one of, if not Jericho's best years in ring, but unfortunately 2023 has seen a rough first half with the Starks and Cole programs. The last two matches in particular were stellar with the in-ring delivering in the world title match as expected. I do wonder where Darby goes from here. While it seems like Guevara and Perry could have a program with the latter being a heel. As for the main event, I can't wait for Kota Ibushi to save the day. Whether it's the bloodline or the elite, I love main event melodrama. Darby's going to climb a mountain at some point. So, And right as will. Yeah, so maybe that's it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely think like a lot of the criticisms for uh, the lack of interest in the undercard is completely valid. I mean, you know, simply listen to our reviews week to week to for evidence of that. They they've not had the best build up, and I think that's putting it lightly. Let's go to Sal from California. I was at the show live tonight. Overall, the sh- the show was great. Anarchy in the arena was a little difficult to follow. It felt like complete sensory overload trying to watch everything at once. It was fun, but it's easier to watch on TV. Statlander's return was amazing and felt like the biggest reaction of the night. I'm very happy that she's back. The title match was the match of the night for me. I understand if others preferred Anarchy in the Arena, but for me, the title match stole the show. One last note, at FanFest, Jungle Boy had by far the smallest line for autographs. I'm wondering if it makes sense to turn him heel soon. Well, I think they're flirting with the idea. So can he deliver as a heel, though? You know, can he deliver the type of character and and performance that you'd want? Yeah, I think that 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 spot with the title that will be designed as something that really like kind of leads his, his story moving forward that he had the opportunity and why he didn't take advantage of it. And then sees MJF with that same title, use it. And that's how he escapes with it. Like that guy's the champion and you're one of the losers in the match. David from Israel, weird show overall. Crowd was pretty bad and dead the entire show outside of popping for, I would definitely not say they were bad for the entire show. Um, 
outside of popping for the really big moments. Way too much interference and shenanigans in a lot of matches. First half of this show is a thumbs down, but the second half is a big thumbs up. I'd say in addition to the crowd being bad, JR was not good when he was in the booth for the first half, and it just made me trying to get into the show even harder. Overall, I'd say I enjoyed it, but it's probably the weakest overall pay-per-view for AEW since All Out 2020. I really think they need to... They needed something punk related to tease his appearance at collision and they dropped the ball there. I really wish AEW would stop running the same towns over and over again. Crowds are really starting to burn out. I mean, again, I, I don't know how many people in that arena are Las Vegas natives as opposed to uh, traveling uh, crowds and such uh, because Las Vegas, I think you are drawing. But is that an there. argument to, to not go to a new town so you can get a hot new audience that wouldn't be likely to travel? Um, it's, it's hard to say, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you run you run Vegas, and it's like there's there's not too many cities that you're going to get ten thousand people, um, yeah, in as well um, at that point. But I I think you you always want to be exploring other markets, and I would not necessarily like if if one city is not uh, if it's down, like I wouldn't just well we have to run double or nothing every year in Vegas. I think you if if there's places that are have a higher demand, you you go there and. Mm-hmm. You, you do want to, especially when there's so few pay-per-views uh, as well. Like you can get to different markets and such. Uh, All right. Are, 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 uh, this, this, just lastly, the CM Punk thing. Do we? Do you think we get more information on Wednesday, or do you think they leave it? I think so. After Friday, it looks like they have uh, put out around. They, they've moved about six thousand tickets for the United Center. So I would not look at that as awful. But it's it's a far cry from like they have lots of tickets left to fill that building, which can hold um, fourteen to fifteen. So mm-hmm. what would you do? I t- to me, I would I would have announced him like two weeks ago. I mean, obviously you couldn't, but I, I would have announced him the moment that you knew that he was signed to come on. I, I thought there would be some tease tonight, like maybe not uh, like physically there or anything, but something uh, th- like there was nothing, not even a hint of it, other than a uh, buddy in the. Uh, in the, in the crowd with a sign with the two L's. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say you want to move as many tickets as possible. And is it a case of the audience that like, this is sort of the demand for collision or is there enough of an audience that they don't know that CM Punk is going to be on this show or. Maybe fans don't want to get burnt. I mean, you know, who like, are there some fans that uh, are hearing when, when does AEW burn you on these things? Like that to me is in this case, it's, 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 there's definitely a reason to question. Cause um, I, I think we were led to believe that CM Punk was definitely going to be a part of collision. And then we were told that some things were happening in the back. I mean, again, I don't want to speak for people that are parting with our money, but if I was one of one of those people, would I want to be sure? Would I like, and that's why I think AEW should let everybody know when they find out that I, I I would make at the very least like hints or be more like, as opposed to now, like there's nothing Mm -hmm. like you're, you're doing nothing and nothing has led to some puns. Give us, give us some puns here. You know, I Um, mean, can't spell the man's name without it. So why not? That's it. Go that direction. All right. Uh, We're going to wrap things up. uh, So thanks to everyone for tuning in to our double or nothing review. Coming up on Monday, we have a bunch of shows coming your way, including Braden Davey will be live at 1 p.m. Eastern time with an NXT Battleground review. Uh, WrestleNomics Radio will be out as uh, Brandon is in Las Vegas, and I believe the press conference is still uh, going on. So you will get your Brandon Thurston fix on uh, on Monday. And it turns out that um, the security guard that took the 
the fireball from Chris Jericho, a uh, a Brandon Thurston trainee. Really? Wow. Did he did he show him how to protect himself from fireballs? Obviously, obviously not. not. Obviously mm. not. That's that's usually day fireball day, defense. day three stuff. Yeah. Mm. All right. And then Monday night, Way and I will be live right after Raw with Rewind to Raw. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. And that concludes our double or nothing review.